Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'll be buried in my And now, live from beautiful Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, you're watching My Fellow Americans with your host, Spike Cullen. Yes! Yes, it's me! It's me! I'm here! I'm still alive and you're still alive. Keep clapping. Clap for the healing clap for the healing from coronavirus. How would we know that you wanted healing from coronavirus if you didn't keep clapping? Welcome to My Fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen, and thank you for joining me uh, in this hour-long exercise in self-quarantining and social distancing, which as an internet libertarian, I am familiar with both of those things. Uh, We've got a great show for you tonight. This is a Muddied Waters Media production. Check us out on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram, uh, Anchor, Dot .fm, Twitter, Periscope, iTunes, Google Play. Check us out on float.app at float.app slash muddiedwatersmedia. Check us out everywhere. Go to all of these things individually and like us, follow us, five, whatever the maximum number of stars, give us that number of stars. On YouTube, hit the bell. I think there might be a bell on one of those other ones. Hit the bell. If you see a bell, hit the bell if applicable. And be sure to share this right now, this very second. The last thing I want is for you and your closest loved ones to be quarantined and not watching uh, a roughly hour-long Libertarian podcast on a Wednesday evening. Be sure to give the gift of Spike Cohen today. Kids love it. This episode, as always, is brought to you by the Libertarian Party dad bod uh, calendar. Uh, uh, It's only $12 shipped. Uh, Be sure to get uh, the Libertarian Party dad bod calendar filled with all of your favorite sexy libertarian men. What better way to keep people at least six feet away from you and your home than to have pictures of sexy libertarian men hanging from all of your windows and various other areas in which they can look into your home. So uh, libertariandadbod.com, $12 shipped. This episode is also brought to you by the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, the fastest growing waffle-related caucus in the Libertarian Party. Uh, and also be sure, if you, we have buttons now. We have Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus buttons now. I know. What a time to be alive, right, folks? Um, So if you want some of those, be sure to inbox me uh, or Muddy Waters, and I will give you the information on how to order those. It's only $2 for the small button, which is like an inch and a quarter uh, wide, and then uh, $5 for the two and and two-quarter inch wide. All proceeds will go to uh, Libertarian Party ballot access 
the ballot access drive. Um, and then this episode is brought to you by the Vermin Supreme Spike Cohen Vice President and President and Vice President 2020 campaign. Be sure to check us out at VerminSupreme2020.com, taking over the Libertarian Party and then the United States of America and then the world. If you want a pony and you want cheesy bread, go to VermanSupreme2020.com and find out more about how to have that today in our time. And then this episode, of course, is brought to you by Chris Reynolds, personal injury attorney, Chris Reynolds, attorney at law. If you're in the uh, Florida area, especially in Tampa Bay, and you're looking to get a, uh, you have a personal injury and need an attorney for that personal injury, be sure to check out Chris Reynolds. Google Chris Reynolds. He's on Facebook. He is on the internet. I think it's chrisreynoldslaw.com, but check him out. Personal injury attorney, Chris Reynolds, attorney at law, an absolute gem of a human being. If I ever had a personal injury in Florida, this would be my man right here. Chris Reynolds. Be sure to check him out. The intro and outro music to this and every episode. Let me put Chris down over here. Intro and outro music to uh, this and every episode of My Fellow Americans comes from the amazing and talented Mr. Joe Davi. That's J-O-D-A-V-I. Check him out on Facebook, SoundCloud. Go to his band camp, joedavimusic.bandcamp.com. Buy his entire discography. It's like $25. It's all terrific, terrific music. If you like that intro, and, and you have to listen to the end, you'll love the outro too. If you like that music, 25 bucks, every single song the man's ever done, you'll absolutely love it. I'd like to thank Kroger for the delicious purified drinking water that I drink on this and most episodes of My Fellow Americans. I have several hundred of these right now. Bulubanaka. That is delicious Kroger purified drinking water. Brought to you by the Kroger Company. Uh, shout out to Tehran Turks' mom and him as always, guys. Folks, we have a fantastic episode for you tonight. We have a literal scientist as our guest. Not just a science-adjacent person such as myself, but an actual scientist as our guest and we're going to get into all the science stuff that is bound to kill every single last one of us Uh, but first we continue our ongoing my fellow americans libertarian party platform explanation platform plank explanation segment where we devote some time in each episode to go over at least one plank in the libertarian party platform explain what it means and why we even believe this. This is brought to you, of course, by my fellow Americans and the Vermin Spike 2020 campaign, vermintsupreme2020.com. Now, tonight, we are going to explain Plank 1.6. We left off on uh, Plank 1.5, Abortion, which was just, what a great episode that was, huh, guys? Everyone had a real fun time talking about abortion. Just a great, just a lot of minds changed and people coming together. This one should prove to be even less divisive uh, or divisive. Divisive? Divisive? Anyway, uh, tonight we're going to explain Plank 1.6, which is parental rights. Uh, all, of the, uh, the, uh, all of the planks from Section 1 are related to self-ownership. Um, but this one says uh, parental rights. Parents or other guardians have the right to raise their children according to their own standards and beliefs, provided that the rights of children uh, to be free from abuse and neglect are also protected. Now, that sounds pretty good, but what exactly does that mean? Well, as we know, uh, as we've talked about, libertarian beliefs are related to self-ownership, the belief that we own ourselves. Because we own ourselves, we own our bodies. Because we own our bodies, we own our, our labor. Uh, and our, Well, we own our lives, and we own our bodies, we own our labor. Uh, and because we own our labor, we own our property. 
Um, now, children aren't really necessarily something that you own. They're a separate human being that you create. But as a, an adult who is in charge of the care of that child, you have the right to decide the way in which that you raise that child. With the understanding, of course, that that child is also an individual human being who has its own, uh, his or her own rights. Uh, or, or sure, I don't want to gender anyone, who has the child has the child's own rights, not implying anything. Uh, they have their own rights and they have their, their own level of, of, of autonomy. Um, so you can't hurt them, you can't abuse them, you can't neglect them. Um, but provided that you are meeting their needs and not you know abusing them in some way, uh, then you have the right to raise them according to the values and beliefs that you have. Uh, we, we should not have a, a state-imposed or societally-imposed top-down standard for how children should be raised. And we see... You know, again, we talk a lot about what happens, not just in theory, but in practice. When we give government power, they often use it in very abusive, uh, inequitable, and harmful ways. And we, we've we've all heard so many stories about Children Protective Services and Department of Social Services in the various states taking people's children with little to no evidence, and that you know the parents having to fight to get their kids back. Um, there was a recent story, and I, I wish I could remember where exactly it was, but where uh, a family, um, one of the parents, uh, smoked marijuana. And so they took the child, for, and they smoked it for medical reasons, um, and they took the child from them, and the child ended up being abused and killed by the foster parents. That's a perfect example of, it's an extreme example, but it's a perfect example of why we, we believe that the state should stay out of it. If there is to be a government, the only thing it should be doing is making sure that there is not direct neglect or abuse happening. If it's just someone living in a way that some of us might not approve of, that's no one's business. So long as the child's needs are being met, and they're not being, including the need to not be neglected or abused, then it's really no one else's business. So that's what that means. There are many different, uh, you know, we can spend literally an entire episode, and I'm sure we will one day, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, libertarians like to argue about everything, and including this, uh, what constitutes abuse, what constitutes neglect, uh, and many other really sticky things that I have absolutely zero interest in talking about right now. But overall, we agree that provided that you are not neglecting or abusing them, that you should be able to raise them in the way you see fit. So that is this week's episode segment of the Libertarian Party Platform Plank Explanation Segment. Thank you, and you're welcome. Now let's let's get right to it. My guest tonight, as I said, is a literal scientist. He is a graduate of Georgia Southern University and the youngest ever graduate of Mercer University School of Medicine's Biomedical Sciences Program. This is impressive stuff, folks. And, and it's so impressive I'm having difficulty saying it. He did it, and I'm having a hard time just producing it from my mouth. He, uh, he's published uh, in the European Journal of Pharmacology, Neuroscience, and Behavioral Ecology and Social Biology. He is published in that that thing that he's got published. Now, unfortunately, none of these were New York Times bestsellers, so he's not allowed to have his own podcast uh, or be considered important to libertarians. But all the same, we want him on the show um, because he agreed to come on. Uh, so my fellow Americans, please welcome to the show the beautiful and brilliant Mr. Jordan Logue. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I uh, While you were giving that intro, I actually looked up uh, Chris Reynolds. Uh, I do have his website in front of me. Uh, if anyone coughs on you in the Tampa area, please call this man. You may have a claim. That's perfect. Yes. If anyone coughs or sneezes on you, this man right here, Chris Reynolds, I don't know how that this didn't really help. I don't know. Like, this is not a good, like, just remember, just look for this face. 
It's Chris Reynolds. If you, if you look him up, personal injury attorney Chris Reynolds on Facebook, personal injury attorney Chris Reynolds. That's his page. And I believe it's ChrisReynoldsLaw.com. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. That, that would be more helpful than, <laughs> than this. That, that would be more helpful than, hey, if, look for if, this if guy. If you Google Chris Reynolds Law, he comes up first. It's fine. Okay, good, good, because this is, I don't know what I was, I mean, I, I don't know what this was. Okay, anyway, so, uh, so yeah, so Chris Reynolds Law, uh, I am super excited to have you on. Um, this is going to be a great match of wits, and by match of wits, I mean that you are a PhD candidate, and I barely made it out of high school, um, so I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. Um, be, guys, be sure to comment with your uh, questions and thoughts, uh, and Jordan and I will tell you if you are right or wrong. Now, Jordan... This is your first time on the show. Welcome to the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of my viewers may not have heard of you. Um, as I said in my intro, you are a scientist. Um, what made you decide to get into that field? And because I am painfully explaining what you actually are, maybe give us a little bit of a breakdown of what that means. Because literal scientist is probably not helping people anymore than me waving this around for Chris. So tell, tell us about yeah, what, you, what you're doing. <laughs> tell us what you're doing and what got you into that. Okay, so I... Um from a like very, very early age, all I ever really wanted to be was a psychiatrist. But uh, the older I got and the closer I got to having to deal with things in medical school, the more it became apparent that it it's more important necessarily to go into drug development or treatment development as more than uh, front lines it doesn't really help you much if you're the person handing out medication, if the medication is not adequate to treat whatever's wrong. Right, right, right. Uh, so I am, and that's not disrespecting to doctors, but you know, there's, there's things that we don't have a cure for. And so let's you don't work on really that. Have right. the op- yeah. So you don't really have the option of troubleshooting that on human patients. Um, so I went into more development of treatment and how underlying i'm a specifically a neuroscientist i'm a neurophysiologist okay. uh with some neuropharmacology work thrown in but i work on how do how does the brain interact with the rest of the body to create a symptom of xyz condition right i've done right, a lot right. of work on addiction uh depression uh anxiety related disorders um so yeah Cool. That's very cool. So you focus more on like, I guess, like pharma, uh, uh, psychotropic type of drugs or, uh, the, the publications that I have already out, uh, the one for the journal of European pharmacology, uh, was on, uh, the habit forming, uh, activity behind methamphetamine. Okay. And specifically, if you knock out a part of the brain called the dorsal striatum, and then within the dorsal striatum, a subset of cells uh, that are called, that's referred to as the patch compartment, uh, whether or not that particular compartment is um, critical to habit formation or forming of preference. Uh, so if you knock out that one particular part, you don't develop a preference for methamphetamine. So we may have a target somewhere down the road of we're going to treat this specific area for uh, people who are addicted to methamphetamine as a way of breaking the habit. So actually being able to break their whatever is happening uh, uh, physiologically in their brain that makes them even want the meth in the first place or whatever. other Correct. 
Very, very cool. We already have a, a comment, very complimentary comment here from Peter Simmons, uh, loving the cleavage J-Lo. Uh, so that's, so we're already we're, we're getting, some, getting some fans. Uh, Peter, Peter is a very, very old friend of mine. Oh, I could t- I, um, I had a feeling. I figured he either hated you or you're good friends. Um, oh, now, well, you know. Peter, you know, this show, I don't know if you saw before, um, but we uh, we often have a lot of, um, we have a lot of, where is it? We have a lot of cleavage here. This is a cleavage-heavy friendly <laughs> show that we do here. Um, so There we go. Yeah, there we go. So, um, okay, cool. So And uh, in, in honor of uh, John Hudak and all of our previous appearances on podcasts, I've just kind of oh yeah you i'm did wearing the thing. <laughs> yeah i'm wearing a tank top underneath the hang, underneath this i'm wearing the tank top but i do have the rolled up sleeves on the lab coat because i'm not gonna cut the sleeves off a lab coat but like no. i'm i'm john i'm here for you buddy i got you i love that that's his thing like he'll go on a very important like you know almost uh adversarial podcast and you know debate just showing the guns just like what you gonna do yeah that's right oh I yeah called you, i called you a fake Here's libertarian he, and what he does that 100 percent of the time i swear to god when he finishes law school he's gonna go to court still wearing the same tank top that is so funny and just he will fight the da to get his client off i love it he would like physically fight him he'll do like the he'll, oh yeah you know, chop the the uh you know a plank in front of them and be like you're next <laughs> That's funny. So, okay, so you got into science. Do you think that your science influenced you becoming a libertarian or that your libertarianism influenced you becoming a scientist or some third option that isn't going to make sense to me? Um, I don't think it had anything to do with the two didn't really have much to do with each other. Um, okay. I was a scientist before I cared about politics and really the only reason I cared about politics at all was how it related to things not immediately relevant to science right um i i don't really think i started paying attention to politics at all until my i think it was 10th or 11th grade uh when i started taking ap us history and ap us government and uh of all people mike huckabee um did a campaign rally in my hometown and brought chuck norris to it and i still don't care at all about mike huckabee but I was 15, right. and I was already nursing my crippling addiction to memes. And I was like, Chuck Norris is here? Okay. Oh, and, that, and then um, That was during like the peak of the Chuck Norris memes, right? Right, right. So I, uh, I went to that for no other reason than to get my picture taken with Chuck Norris, which I got right. done. Nice. Uh, but while I was at the Mike Huckabee rally, I met a bunch of people from um, one of the local colleges who were campaigning for Ron Paul. Uh, and they gave me a bunch of free books, and I read them, and, you know, 12 years later, I'm here. So, here funny. we are. The old Chuck Norris to libertarianism pipeline that we I, all know. Yeah, the pipeline, the pipeline of one. The but pipeline. You know what? No, you know what? You probably are not the only one to be brought in by I Chuck mean- Norris. And then, I mean, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's not one of the larger pipelines. I'm sure there's a bit of a bottleneck, but... Oh, it does exist. If only because of you, there is one, even if it's just an outlier pipeline, it is the one <laughs> one or more people. As many as one people have been brought to libertarianism by Chuck Norris. That is hilarious. Now, speaking of questionable libertarian entries, um, you are also one of the admins of one of my favorite pages and groups on, on Facebook, which is Fakertarians. Tell us about why you got into that and what, what, what you're doing over there. 
Um, I actually, I just started following the page like everybody else because I thought it was, you know, an interesting page. And it's also, I mean, I don't think anybody's been around libertarianism for any period of time without noticing that there's a, there's a wide variety of people who call themselves libertarians, but a right. lot of it has absolutely nothing to do with libertarianism. Um, the way I've had to explain it to some friends of mine who aren't libertarians and don't care at all about politics, um, they, the way that one of them explained it to me, uh, his, his name's Taj. If he's probably he's probably also watching this. If Taj, if you're watching, comment something stupid. Um, the way he explained it to me was that he had thought of libertarians as. Uh, the people who are more conservative than Republicans, but yeah. more racist than Republicans and even okay. regular Republicans wouldn't talk about it. Oh, Lord. And I was like, I I don't think that's an accurate description, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Why, um, why someone would say that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I I can't defend, I can't be angry at him for saying that because go to, go to anyone who has ever seen uh the comment section on any reason article yeah or uh yeah it's bad right yeah and so the fact that uh the libertarian party took a pretty you know hard stance against a lot of the stuff that obama was doing for the last you know uh for the last decade brought in a lot of people who directly oppose obama so thought that they were libertarians yeah which it's that's not it because you you run the gamut from i don't think that this spending program is sustainable and i do not support your expansion of drone strikes right. to people who thought he was the antichrist and also a fake muslim from, from kenya Ken, from, with a fake kenya. birth certificate and his wife was actually a van like that's that's, a, tra a trans that's, a, tra a trans woman yeah 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 yep. that, I that's still the hear gamut that. that you run when you say you're a libertarian right and I understand why people would be hesitant to call themselves that. I would also understand that. And I say that as someone who I didn't quite come in that way, but initially I was still, I mean, I was a bordertarian for, you know, my first bit of time being friendly with the libertarian party. And I was still that very much that, well, you know, the Republicans are way better than the Democrats, you know, the Republicans suck too, but you know, they're still way better than the Democrat. And it took me a while to really actually, because people would say, well, what is libertarianism? And I'd start saying what I believed and they'd say, yeah, but what is that? What libertarianism is founded on? And I'm like, yeah. And then finally I actually did some reading and I'm like, oh no, uh oh. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and that really helped because then I thought, okay, well, do I believe this? And I really delved into it and it, I thought, I do believe this. And I now have some interesting, uh, 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 changes in my, in my position in a, in a relatively short period of time. So it's very, it's very interesting to see how people, how people get there. So, um, all right, let's get into this whole COVID thing. Cause that's what everyone is asking about. Um, we dedicated an entire, we decided l last night on the Muddy Waters of Freedom to have a COVID free show for St. Patrick's Day where we still ended up talking about it. We just kept calling it the thing we don't <laughs> talk about. Um, and it was just to have a break, but the reality is this is a very, you know, important thing and we need to talk about it. Now, Jordan, as we both know, COVID-19, the novel coronavirus is literally less dangerous than H1N1 and no one even knew or cared about that ever because Barack Obama was president and this whole thing is just a giant hoax to make Donald Trump look bad. Tell us why that is with science. Go. 
God, you sound like my entire family. Okay, um, so 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 obviously, okay, obviously that's nonsense. COVID nineteen is extremely serious. Right, 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 right. Explain to us why it's serious. Um, because despite what Ron Paul says about it, it does actually have a much higher uh, rate of fatality than the regular flu. Right. And because we in the United States lack a way of testing for it currently. Right. Um, the virus has a very long incubation period before you come, become symptomatic and it's very contagious. So you could, the, and the, also within that you have a set number of people where if you are healthy, you will never, even if you're carrying the virus, you will not be symptomatic. So even with being asymptomatic, you can still transmit this virus. And right. within a set period of time, you can transmit that virus to enough people where one of them will have some kind of problem or will be able to transmit it to somebody else Someone who has the same will. kind of problem right. where they have a weakened immune system or an auto like an autoimmune disorder or maybe they have a young child or maybe they have an elderly relative that they come in contact with a lot where you're going to pass this on to everyone around you if you're not careful about it and within passing around to everyone around you one of them will get it and it will actually be serious enough for them to be hospitalized and then you go from there but it's it's not anything to play with right and 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 this is not an extinction level event situation like we're we're humanity no, is no, going no, no, to no, survive no. this this isn't like even in the, so in the movie contagion i think the de- the fatality rate there was 20% so and again even that was most people were going to survive but when you think of 20% of people dying and quite a few of them getting really sick right. it was it was like a challenge you know that 10 years later the world was still reeling from it this is not going to be that but at least in the short term there's going to be a big problem now there's been a lot of misconception well, right. go go ahead I was going to say, there's also that when you look at, um, you say you have this many cases or this many uh, people who are infected and the fatality rate is, they say, 10 times higher than the flu. Let's just put it at that number. That's still a lot of people. And people are comparing it to, you know, you say that uh, this many people die in a year of car crashes, this many people die in a year of cancer, this many people die in a year of, you know, household accidents, whatever. Right. But... Those are usually like things that are not – if they are preventable, like there's ways that you can prevent cancer, but you're never going to get all of them. You're never right, going to be able right, to right, prevent right. 100% of household accidents. You can't transmit cancer to somebody else. Right. Um, driving safely will prevent most auto accidents, but at the same time, you're never going to bring it down, down to zero. Right. But this is a case of we have the ability to prevent it, and it would be irresponsible not to take some measure – in order to prevent it. Right. And we also have a situation. So there's been a lot of talk about the fatality rate being only 2% or only 3%. And so you'll hear people say, well, let's just all get it at once and get it over with. And then that way it'll be fine. Now, you can explain this believe, better than... I believe Thanos had a similar theory, just had different just, numbers on it. Just snap your fingers and the 2% is gone. But here's the problem with that. And you can explain this better than me. Uh, so in South Korea the fatality rate seems to be around 0.6%, making it about six times deadlier than the flu. Still deadlier than than the flu, but ultimately fairly manageable. Whereas right now in Italy, I'm hearing numbers as high as almost 10%. So it's uh, it's uh, more, than, more than 15 times worse than in South Korea and more than 100 times worse or, or roughly 100 times worse than the flu. Talk to us about why there is such a wide disparity and 
why it's important how we respond to that. Uh, well, it's all in it's all in preparation for containment. Right. If you look at um, South Korea, they were, I guess, more prepared, more ability. They had more ability to test for it. And when you have the ability to test for it, you know who to isolate. The biggest problem with any of these outbreaks, whenever they exist, and we, we go through this every few years when the media creates a panic about a, um, like everybody remembers the bird flu, everybody remembers the swine flu, everybody remembers Ebola, um, where they talk about this horrible disease that someone's absolutely probably going to die of, but it's under the context of this disease is awful, but they never look at any of the details of the actual contagiousness of the disease right so ebola is actually very very difficult to transmit from person to person unless you're actually like a healthcare worker right or consuming like ebola unless you're a healthcare worker or you're consuming the bodily fluids by accident from like a tainted water supply but ebola is not a disease that in the united states would spread rapidly right because of the hygiene but, hygienic sanitation and stuff we have in place it wouldn't really spread yep right but Respiratory illnesses spread all the time. Right. It's just usually not one that's serious enough to hurt any, anyone. But we have something that is – it's not really comparable to the flu. Uh, it's a different kind of virus. It's not like I've seen people make – everybody goes back to the flu because it's a, it's something that makes you feel awful, makes you cough, and is super contagious. Yep. Um, but, but they're not the same kind of virus. They're not directly comparable in that way other than the fact that they make you cough. That's right. about it. Yeah. Um, but the the difference between different places having you know different effectiveness in their healthcare treatments and in their you know fatality rates is just how quickly were they able to contain it and did they prevent it from getting to the most vulnerable populations fast enough um south korea did a very good job of containing it so that it did not spread to young children and the elderly if you look at the breakdown of who in italy has um if you look at the fatality rates of it the fatality rates are mostly in older people or people who already had some underlying health condition right right and people the, the elderly the young the very 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 young children and people who have an underlying condition are always like the people that you're trying to keep safe this is why we are always harping on please get your flu shots don't buy into the anti-vaccine propaganda we have to keep the vaccination rates up in order to provide herd immunity and contain the spread of the virus or whatever other pathogen. Not all of them are viral, but you get the point. Right, right, right. Um, in this case, it's there was no vaccine, and the places that are doing good or bad at maintaining the fatality rates and keeping them low are the ones who managed to contain the spread quickly. The biggest fear in the United States right now is how long it took the U.S. government or any real like or anyone really anyone. to respond to what yeah to respond to what this was yep. because we're three three and a half months into a pandemic we don't even have the ability to test for it in most places we have no yep. idea what the infection rate is because how how do you tell if you can't test we don't even have the tests and and a big problem there is like we have a couple of hospital systems in the Myrtle Beach area that are testing, but presumably because they don't have a lot of tests, the pre-screening you have to go through is ridiculous. 
you have to already mm-hmm. be so sick that you require respiratory care in a hospital to get the testing. So, for example, oh, and you more than likely have to tell them that you've been out of the country for within the past 30 days or that someone you've been in contact with has been out of the country. So, which is absurd and asinine considering we have widespread community spread at this point and they're still asking people mm-hmm. in hospital systems, have you been out of the country? It doesn't matter anymore. Right. This isn't a foreign disease anymore. This is a, a widespread disease. And we're going to get more into the testing thing in a second. But um, because we're not containing it, um, true or false... Uh, the the more people you have in a hospital that that, are, that have it at any given time, the higher fatality rate is going to be because there's just so many people needing hospital care that there just isn't enough hospital care for it. I don't think we've hit the point in the United States yet where we're right. going we're we're not seeing like rational rationing of of beds in hospitals. We're seeing that in Italy, and it's yeah. like they're already trying to come up with like triage plans for what to do with this many elderly people in these hospitals. We're not seeing that in the United States yet. Um, so we ha- I don't think that that is the immediate worry just yet. Okay. The worry right now is still containment. Who can, like, if we keep everyone separate for long enough to see who is symptomatic, can we get these tests out so that people can start testing themselves? Can we get everything settled out and just see where is the virus can we keep it there and prevent it from going elsewhere? That's the priority right now. The problem is that should have been the priority in January. From day one, yeah, and, exactly. Yep. Yeah, and it's March. <laughs> we've had this thing we've had this thing running out in the wild in the United States. The first recorded case that was confirmed in the United States was January thirtieth. Um and that well the, the case report was came out on January thirtieth. Um, if you look at the amount of time that this thing has had to go out and about in the intervening period of time, it could be everywhere by now. Yeah. Like both of us just sitting here talking to, we could both already have it and just not exhibit symptoms or have had Um, it. I, I had, I have to interrupt you real quick. I got really sick in February at the New Hampshire primaries, like a couple days after I did the New Hampshire primaries, where there were people from all over the world watching the spectacle of the New Hampshire primaries. I got very sick. I got so sick, I had to stay an extra couple days at the hotel room because I was not going to be able to, 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 you know, get to travel back home. When I went to a doctor's office, and this is in Boston where they already had a, confer- or just outside of Boston, where they already had a, con- one con- there was one of the first like five or six confirmed cases in the US. So I went to the doctor, I tested negative for the flu, they said it sounds like something worse than a cold, we're going to put you on Tamiflu anyway, and I said, well, is it possible this is uh, coronavirus? And they said... It's absolutely possible. We have no way of testing. So we, we're going to simply mm-hmm. tell you to do all the things that we would recommend that you do. Wear, a, wear a, a surgical mask when you're out so you can't spread it to So it's harder for you to spread it to others. Stay in your hotel room. You know, Make sure you, 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 you clean and sanitize everything you've touched and be very careful for the next couple of weeks. I, I, did, you know, I broke you know, a lot, my, my, my fever and everything a lot, a lot faster. And it might have been something else. But I'm also relatively healthy. So it's there's a good chance right. I got it already have the immunity and I'm sitting here you know in self quarantine and could probably already maybe possibly even be okay to go out but we have no idea and it and and it's right. you know but so you actually think that this is still possibly something that's containable and not just mitigating and slowing the spread you think this is still something that we could actually put a halt to uh no okay. uh, <laughs> I, I think that the cat 
at this point, it's um, the, like I said, the first case that they confirmed in the U.S. was um, a guy who re-entered the U.S. He's a he's a uh, he lives in Washington State. I have his case file in front of me. I don't they they blacked out his name, uh, but he returned to the United States from China on January the fifteenth. He went to I don't know which airport he came through. I don't know what else he did in that period of time. But he came back from China, uh, was coughing, like was not coughing on the plane or while he was traveling. After he got home, he started coughing. He coughed for two days and then started running a fever. After running a fever for three days, he went to urgent care where they admitted him to the hospital and they tested him for corona there. They had to come up with tests to give him because they didn't have their own. Right, right, right. Uh, even even though one even oh, though one exists, the World Health Organization already has one, but that's not allowed here. Well, well, there are several that exist. Okay. It's just how there there are several that exist. It's just whether or not they're cleared for use in the United States. Right, they're not allowed um, here. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's another. We're we're gonna get uh, into that. We're the, gonna get into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, from the first guy, uh, this is in Washington near the Seattle area. Mm-hmm. That means that if he flew from China, that anybody who was in the same airport as him could have been exposed. Definitely anybody who was on the same plane. Yep. Anybody who, you know, he came in contact when he went to work for the next three days. Everybody was in the hospital waiting room while he was waiting to go into urgent care. Yep. Um, anybody in that period of time could have gone anywhere else. And then anyone um, that, And then anyone that they... If they got, if any of them got infected, anyone that they did any of those things with in that time, which mm-hmm. is why this thing doubles every three days, because it's, you know, it's not like the easiest thing on earth to spread. It's conceivable that someone that's infected could touch someone. And as long as that person, you know, wash themselves afterwards or whatever, that they don't get it. But the reality is when you have someone who's, especially if they have any symptoms and they're sniffling, sneezing, whatever, they're around a bunch of people, there's this potential for exponential spread. So it's, I mean, it's anyway, go ahead. Right. Sorry. So that's that was whichever airport he went through. That would be like, you know, the initial, and this is just the first confirmed case. He might not have even been the first guy. Right. He's just right. the first one that they showed on, like that they showed that he tested positive for it right. after they gave him a battery of tests, uh, which is interesting because it showed up positive in like they did several different tests on him to see if it would show up. Uh, weird thing is that it would show up in the uh, for in, in just this case. So they've obviously there's other kinds of tests they can do. Uh, but they were doing uh, blood, throat swab, nasal. Um, they took uh, stool samples, urine samples. They were testing everything that they could get from the guy to see what right, showed up. Right, right, right. Uh, it did not show up in the blood test that they gave him, mm. which is interesting. Uh, but it did show up in the nasal swab. So that's um, if they don't. That's just kind of indicative that if they don't have the specific test that you're needed to look for here. Uh, they the could blood be getting, test might not work. There could be there could be a lot of false negatives happening, right? And even if you know it's even if it's coming back positive, um, if you look at the NBA players who have tested positive for it, uh, only one of the players in the NBA who tested positive for it was symptomatic, and he just felt tired. But Kevin Durant had it and felt fine. Yeah. Um, apparently. Tom Hanks and Idris Elba have it, and they didn't feel sick. Um, so it's not about 
the healthy people though. It's about preventing somebody who like is sick with something else from getting it, which is why we're all doing this. Right, exactly. And so, so quite real quick question before I go into the testing thing. What what do we know for certain? So, you know, when this first came out and I looked up, you know, incubation periods and they're like, well, other coronaviruses have an incubation period of up to 14 days. So we're assuming that this is the same and other things last this long. Other coronaviruses last this long on certain surfaces. Do we know for certain, for example, how long COVID-19 specifically lives on different types of surfaces, exactly how long the incubation period is, whether high heats can kill it, things like that? Or are we still flying blind and comparing it to like SARS and stuff like that? Uh, we do know, we do know enough about it to say that like disinfectants will kill it. High okay. heat will kill it. Okay. Um, as far as like whether or not antivirals will slow down the progression of symptoms, I'm not sure. Right. Um, like I said, I'm a, I'm a neurophysiologist. I'm not a virologist. I'm not an immunologist. I just, I took regular intro level classes on them, but that's, right. uh, you know, we do know that, uh, compared to the other viruses that are comparable with coronaviruses, it does have, uh, some people have said as low as 14 days incubation. Uh, some people have documented, I believe it's high as 35. <laughs> Uh, so the th- yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you're now realizing what kind of mess we're in, right? Um, you're telling people like, oh, you 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 came back from at this point anywhere, and you're not feeling well. Mm-hmm. You have to stay in your house for 35 days and, and assume that you have that you have. But those are kind of outliers, right? Like my understanding is that the average, like you know, maybe one it's, out of a thousand is going to be outside of that 14 days, but it, but that it is possible. Oh, it's possible, but the thing is that we've um, we're so far behind the curve on this right yeah. now um, because we waited so long to do anything about it uh, that we're now looking at, uh, for example, um, right now Florida public schools uh, were on spring break. Um, they sent out the email a few weeks ago that following spring break, if you leave whatever campus you're on. You cannot come back to that campus for 14 days. So if you leave for spring break, you cannot come back to school for 14 days. Following that 14-day period, you can come back if you've shown no symptoms whatsoever. Which is means nothing. And then they, when they change that to be, we're not having classes anymore this semester. Right. You can come back in the summer, but everything else is going to be online. Um, and... That seems a bit much, but if we don't have testing kits and we don't have any way of saying who has it is asymptomatic or who has it and, uh, you know, is contagious or who doesn't have it or whatever. Right. But we're looking at the real possibility that this virus, which was highly contagious, was allowed basically six weeks with no public response to it. It could already be everywhere. I assume like, it is. Yeah. Yeah. We're and we're at the point now where like, okay, we're we're in quarantine, but we have no way of knowing whether or not you're sitting in quarantine with other people who are carrying the virus. Right, right, right. Yeah. Like for for the lack of testing kits is like the most egregious error that we could have made here. Um 
And until a week ago, the people who were, you know, in charge of the federal government were saying this was a hoax. Uh, and there's still people saying it's a hoax. There's still people so saying it's a hoax. Yeah, there are still people saying uh, oh, it's yeah. a hoax. Qu- question. So we're not doing testing. Clearly, there are more than the, I don't know, seven, 8,000, whatever it's up to now. How many orders? Because I'll, I'll ask people, how many more do you think have it? They're like, well, maybe it could be 15,000. How many orders of magnitude higher do you think the number of actual cases is to the confirmed cases? Oh, man. Um, well, here's the thing. The the limiting factor of the confirmed cases um, is not being determined by the actual infection rate. Right. We have like like uh, the late rem- the rate limiting factor there is the number of testing kits that we have available. Um, for all we know, at this point, the virus could be at higher than 50 percent infection in the United States. It could also be at only like five percent. Are you saying 50 percent of the population? Right. Yeah. But that's the thing. It could be as low as 1% or as high as 50. We have no idea. It's not, we can't really even speculate on it because from the limited data that we have, which is coming from a limited number of you know, available tests, yeah. we have how many people have been tested and we have how many people came back positive. Right. But the sample size for that is so small compared to the population in the United States. And only in specific areas, like, um, for instance, uh, if you live in Milledgeville, Georgia, Macon, Georgia, or Warner Robins, Georgia, uh, you have to travel to Atlanta to get tested. So, officially, there's only like four confirmed cases in the state of Georgia outside the city of Atlanta. That doesn't mean there, there are none there. Yeah, It just means that we haven't been able to find them because we don't have the ability to test for them. So then you agree with me that we're looking at anywhere from three to five orders of magnitude higher. Well, not five, because that'd be 800 million. Three, we're talking maybe three or four orders of magnitude higher than the number of confirmed cases. Like, it's just beyond anything, anywhere near what we're being told. Right. I don't, I don't want to put a number on it. Okay. Because okay. Yeah, based, based on the available data, it's not really wise to speculate like how many people would test positive for it because you're basing this on a lot of you're basing it on a lot of what if okay um and and so i don't want to i don't want to say anything that's going to come back and be like oh he gave us this this and this number uh my problem isn't necessarily that i have question that i have like complaints about the way that the math is done my problem is that we don't have enough data to make accurate projections to say about what the Yeah, we don't have enough information to say what the infection rate is in the United States right now because we can't test for it. Right. And my biggest, like, the most egregious thing that I've ever seen with this is just the lack of testing. Yep. Because there's no excuse for how long it took them to clear the tests for this virus. Yep. So let's get into that because so to, because I'm not a scientist and can make whatever off the wall uh, 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 hyperbole hyperbolic statements I, I I want. I personally think we're looking at at least a million people that have it in the U.S. and I think that that's a, a low number. I think we have zero concept of just how many people have it. Um, when the Ohio Department of Health said that they're going based on the assumption that there were a hundred thousand people just in Ohio that had it, and that was like a week ago, and that it was doubling every three days. That to me said that we're just not even in the wheelhouse, the realm of 
reality when we're looking at what our confirmed numbers are, what our what our actual numbers are compared to confirmed. Anyway, uh, so let's talk about the the testing. As per usual, the government has utterly failed to protect us. And I have featured a uh, a story uh, about a a woman, a doctor, on both the Muddy Waters media and uh, and and Vermin Spike social media uh, about a doctor by the name of Helen Chu who was at the University of Washington, uh, who I consider to be an absolute hero who ultimately be, will be responsible for saving the lives of countless people. Um, Jordan, tell, tell us about um, Dr. Chu and, and, and exactly what she did. Okay, so Dr. Chu, uh, the short version of this story, and I don't want to, because it's already been posted, I don't want to just like read this article to your fan base, but uh, <laughs> basically she... Uh, was testing people for the coronavirus in the middle of doing another study, which was on the flu in the Seattle area. Uh, and even though she was not given clearance or permission to run tests for the coronavirus, she thought it would be egregious if we just didn't test for it. So she tested for it anyway and actually found cases of coronavirus in Washington and contained them. Um, so there's been a lot of back and forth complaints about the FDA and the CEC uh, and just a bunch of different government agencies that have just absolutely refused to deal with this in a timely manner. Right. Um, to the point where um, the, the, the quote that I liked so much from Dr. Uh, from Alex Greninger from uh, university of Washington uh was that the virus is moving so much is the virus is faster than the FDA uh, to the point that the agency was requiring him to submit materials in order to like apply for testing. They were making him submit it through the mail and email because they needed two forms of it and they would not proceed without the physical copy that was sent to them through the mail. So, our response to pandemic outbreaks that could and already kind of has destabilized the entire economy but could potentially kill thousands of people was stalled because someone had to send something through regular mail because email of a PDF was not good enough for a government agency. And everyone who knew – keep in mind, like the people at CDC know – at least as well as Jordan and I know, probably even better, what we're facing. Oh, absolutely. And yet... Yeah, the CDC and the NIH absolutely know what's coming. The CDC and the NIH are, the, like, as much as people inherently want to mistrust the government, so do I. But the CDC and the NIH are not... Uh, the, the scientific aspect of it is not operated by government drones. They're operated right. by scientists. Yeah. And you can say whatever you want about scientists that are... Um, you know they're subject to political inclinations and biases like everybody else. Of course, of course. But they but they document their work. Mm -hmm. If you want to go in and see if there is a bias, you can look in their paperwork and find it. You can like no one's ever accused DNA of having a political leaning. You just have people who don't understand what DNA is trying right. to make X Y Z claim about it that is not correct. Right. If they're saying that the coronavirus has you know this infective rate has you know this protein coat particle or has this rna sequence or whatever you want to say about it they're not making that up right right of course and yet, you can look it up and then, no one ever does 
and then yet knowing intimately what it is we're facing and how dangerous this is and how fast moving it is, they still had to operate within these confines of how they would approve things because that's how it was written on a sheet of paper and they're just doing their jobs. So there was more than likely no nefarious intent here. It's actually something worse. It's just that that's how it was written up to do. It's not even incompetence. It's like some kind of Kafka-esque nightmare where it's like, yeah, I know this thing is coming that, you know, is going to kill millions or hundreds of thousands of us if we don't move on it now. But it says to here, you got you, you got to send it in the mail and it'll take three to five, you know, business days for us to respond once we get it. Like it that's how it was how it was written up. So, so Helen Chu, you know, to, to put it in somewhat layman's terms here, Helen Chu basically... For all lack, for lack of a better word, illegally was testing people, and so you know it's not you know. And when I say illegally, she wasn't you know on the lam and saying "catch me if you can, coppers." It's just she didn't have any right. authorization to do so, and so she did it anyway because her Hippocratic oath required her to do it, and so she did it. And it was because of her and the actions of people like her that we even knew anyone had it here. And it was that that actually, correct me if I'm wrong, that actually put pressure on the government to change their policy to start allowing companies to begin at least producing tests. Is that correct? Uh, it's partially correct. I don't know all of the companies that have um, that have been attempting to produce the tests. Right. Uh, if we said, if, if I tried to give you a number on how many companies are attempting to manufacture tests right now, I would be making up a number. I don't. I don't know. Okay. Um. There. There's so many different pharmaceutical companies and different biotech companies that have the ability to make the kind of tests that would exist for this. But how many of them are currently doing so? I'm not sure. Right. 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 But um, but but, I, but they yeah, but they cha- but they. Cha- I, I would say. Yeah, I would say that her saying publicly that the disease is already here. We found it. We've contained it. But we've. We've got to do something now because it's already here. We've, yeah. There's there's the point of the easiest way to prevent disaster is to keep Pandora's box closed. And she's just the first person who pointed out, well, it's open. What do we do? Right. And um, it's one of those where there's obviously reason why you would want pharmaceutical companies and biotech companies and whoever else is making their tests or new drugs or whatever they're making to have it tested and verified before you release it to the public. Right. Right. But we should have been doing these kind of things years ago. Right. And we didn't. Or at we, least like, or at least months ago, once it was out there or at least allowing these other confirmed right. tests from other countries to come in. So, but what did change policy wise was that the, um, I, from what I read, the CDC went from requiring that you get their authorization before you start testing to that you had to submit. Once you started testing, you had to submit within 15 or 30 days, but you could already begin testing or something like that. So there was some policy change that now allowed for there to be testing. One of our commenters actually asked for some clarification. Uh, She said, uh, we are still under 100 confirmed confirmed cases. I think she means deaths. Um, But she said, and the actions being taken are not uh, foul. No, that was the wrong one. We'll talk about that in a second. She said, so we have positive results popping up everywhere for tests, approved or not, tests are out there. Can you clarify that some more? Because there would be confusion and inaccurate to say tests are not available when they are and many more released and being shipped right now. But the problem is that the number being shipped isn't even remotely close to what's needed. Is that correct? 
Correct. The number being shipped uh, and the number that would have been needed weeks ago was far too low. So we needed to have all the like the amount of focus that's being done that's being shifted toward testing right now mm-hmm. should have been done six weeks ago. Uh, when they confirmed that this that they had a case uh, in Washington in January the fifteenth, by January thirtieth, there should have been this level of testing effort. Maybe not quarantines, but right. testing, because you have confirmation of this virus on U.S. soil going mm-hmm. through at least one airport. I don't know because he's in Seattle. I don't know if he changed it LAX or whatever, but right. in at least one at least airport, one. Yep. you had a patient with this virus. That was contagious, who did not show symptoms until after he had gone home and gone to work for a few days. It's this period of time later, we are still working with a critically low number of tests that are available. Um, and from the numbers that we have from the tests that are available, it's not enough to, pro- um, to make concrete projections about what the infection rate is in the United States. Right. We right. Did, it's, and it's, that's, that's the biggest thing for it right now is that we don't even know who has it and if we had figured out earlier in the process who has it where have they been how long has it been incubated everything else then it wouldn't be necessary to quarantine it wouldn't be necessary to go through this much trouble if we had tested like a few people in the seattle area the day after he was admitted to the hospital right and said that day everybody who you know, has been in an airport or has, you know, had contact with people who were traveling to the United States from China or whatever, go get tested right now, we wouldn't be in this mess. Right. But uh, if I remember correctly, there was a story where in Oklahoma, they tested the entire staff of the Oklahoma Oklahoma City Thunder, and that was all of the tests that they had in the state of Oklahoma for that time period. (laughs) So... They tested a basketball team and the people who travel with them, and that was all that they tested in that, that state yep. for that day. Yep. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not mad at like whoever's you know on that team for getting tested, but like, why did we only have fifty tests? Right. It's not who got of more than a million people. It, yeah. It's not. It's not who got tested. It's why were there that few in the first place? And then, and then another question from the this, the same person, which this is a misconception that we need to clear up. Uh, so we are still under a hundred. She said cases, but I think she means death confirmed deaths and the actions being taken are not fast enough yet. Thousands died with past pandemics and zero was done. The economy went on and nothing shut down. Why is that? I- explain. That's not, that's not true. Um, yeah. thank you. The, okay. the, the simple way of explaining that is that, uh, this used to be, I mean, if you look at, let's say the Spanish flu, um, or anything else or any other past pandemic that had a, mortality rate that was above like the regular like the annual flu, flu that rate. we have now right, right um there was regular economic setback associated with losing this many people every year yeah with um you know the fact that you're losing this many children out of elementary schools every year that that are not economic oh they didn't shut down you know name a business that's currently shut down um, they didn't shut it down when we had the Spanish flu, or they didn't right. shut it down when we had polio, or they didn't shut it down when we had whatever else. Um, the economy went on as normal, um, and a lot of people died. 
It's just that we don't look back on those pandemics as, oh, this caused the Great Depression. It's like, no, people were just accustomed to, you know, high infant mortality rates or high childhood mortality rates, uh, a lower life expectancy and a lower standard of living overall. It wasn't that there was just giant setbacks that never happened before. Um, yeah, no, it was it was a I, people who were used to losing one out of every five children that was born. So, you know, if another one out of five children died after that, they were more adjusted to that. We're not used to that level of death and mayhem is just a regular thing. Also, something I need to add to this, if you look at a 2% death rate, which in Italy is much higher because of the strain that they have on their hospital system, if 2% of Americans died... That's seven. Mil- that's almost seven million people. If ten percent of them died, that's thirty-two million people. Twelve thousand people died of H1N1. Around sixty thousand people die of the flu. We are talking several, not just several times, but adding extra. When I, when we say orders of magnitude, that's how many zeros you add to the end. We're talking several more zeros added to the end of the sheer number of people dying, and that's before you factor in if twenty percent of Americans require emergency respiratory care in a hospital when maybe one out of 10,000 could get it at the same time without putting a strain on the system. This gives you an idea of the kind of apocalyptic scenario that, you know, people are trying to avoid, which the government imposed upon us. But the idea that this is some kind of overreaction is the exact opposite. We are underreacting to what this is. Well, we underreacted already. I don't know that... Uh, for instance, they're saying that we may be on uh, under this kind of quarantine for 18 months. That is an overreaction. That is, right. it is entirely too early to speculate about something that's going to last yeah, that 18 would be, yeah. months based on this. Right. Yeah, yeah. I've seen that number thrown around. That is a that is a nonsense number. If yeah. we're still doing this in 18 months, that is ridiculous, and that's of a course. different kind of failure. Of course. The the underreaction that we had is not what we're doing now. It's what we did in January. We underreacted horribly in january we underreacted horribly for the entire month of february and for basically the first half of march because until about the time that the nba shut down and donald trump was in the room with the vice president of brazil who popped positive for it this was fake right this was a democratic hoax to tank the stock market and had absolutely nothing to do with donald trump yelling at the federal reserve for five years not knowing what inflation is and telling them to drop interest rates but um, I mean, we, uh, our government agencies are essentially headed by a guy who took out a Sharpie to adjust the projections of a hurricane because he mentioned because the he state. Made a, yeah. Because he made a typo in a tweet. That's who's in charge of whether or not our country can test uh-huh. for pandemics. All right. At a time, um, it's the at same a time... guy who, uh, in 2018, by the way, this is kind of going back a little bit, but it, it goes back to like the, the overall issue here, um, in 2018, the head of the CDC resigned. Uh, her name was Brenda Fitzgerald. She was the director of the CDC. She resigned because uh, she had been uh, hiding the fact that she purchased stock in tobacco companies. Um, but that's the kind of like political influence that... Our, our government has into our healthcare system. So she was the head of the like, CDC and was 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 uh, invested in tobacco companies. 
Correct. Yeah. So that's a little so bit of that was, that, that's a little bit that of the double dealing there. Yeah. That's, yeah. That was the Department of Health and Human Services. Let that happen. Like that was something that they just accepted. And it wasn't until it leaked to the media that she owned stock in tobacco companies that she resigned. Um, like that's that's our political influence into medicine in the United States. Yep, and that's which is why, as libertarians, we believe that removing the political influence on on healthcare, the best way to do that is to have it as a market action as opposed to, you know, uh, have it as an apolitical action based on supply and demand as opposed to based on what a politician wants to try to get reelected on in, a, in, in what is unfortunately an election year, because that couldn't possibly make it even more partisan and terrible. So something mm. we're going to we're going to bring up. So because of that failure and continued failure we now have widespread bans on gatherings of as few as 10 people in some states uh, as sort of, a, I guess, an overcorrection to the fact that we have no clue who was infected. So I, you can argue that it isn't even an overcorrection, but it's a, a major correction, from, major move in the opposite direction from the, you know, the, well, who knows who has it? Um, so we're simply right. just assuming it, everyone has it. it. I, would say that it's, I would say it's far too early to say that it's an overcorrection. Um, but it's a sea change. Know and... Who has it? Right. Uh, but it is some. It is absolutely something that we could have avoided if we had acted appropriately at an earlier stage. But we didn't. Right. So, so... I don't want to. I don't want to say that what we're doing now is an overreaction because um, it's too early to say whether or not it's an overreaction. Right. Right. Um, I, because if you look at, um, if you look at the information being released and you look at what the people who make these decisions are actually doing themselves, um, there's a reason that I'm the only person in, in this building right now. The faculty is at home. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm here because if you have experiments that work on animals, you have to check in on them. But the, the majority of people who work for um, medical schools, uh, non-essential hospital pers uh, personnel, uh, the people who work for like, you know, research companies, uh, biotech companies, whatever. If you can work from home, they're doing it too. Right, exactly. So um, there's some de debate. There's not really much debate that self-quarantining and social distancing really flatten this thing and help to contain it or at least mitigate it. There is some debate as to whether uh, the bans on 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 you know, on, on gatherings and things like that, how effective those are. Uh, I saw a model where they showed that the, 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 the travel bans that were put in place within China weren't actually that effective because it caused people to panic and get out of places and travel right. even more than they would have. So it's arguable whether that works or not. With that being said, uh, you know, I tend to think that people would be a lot, people would be a lot better off if we would just simply realize what we're facing and make smart choices, regardless of what government's telling us. If they're telling us to do this and it happens to be a good idea, then we do it because it was a good idea. If government says do this and it's not a good idea, then we don't do it. If government says you don't have to do this, but we find out it's a good idea, do it. Like do it because it's a good idea. Don't worry about what government's saying. Now, something that Stephen Biggs, one of our one of our, our follower, one of our viewers, brought up is you know she, he gets the, the the benefits of quarantine, but he's curious you know he of our thoughts on the economic impact of this, you know, 
this reality that we're telling people to stay away from each other and not work uh, during a time that the Fed is cutting reserve requirements uh, to zero so banks don't have to have any 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 uh, money in the bank right at a time when people are having to dip into whatever money they might have in the bank uh, uh, to pay you know pay their bills and pay for basic goods and services um, mm-hmm. that is going to lead to a run on the banks. This just kind of underscores yet another reason over and above just avoiding deaths why we need to try to contain this by testing for it the moment we know it's here. Right. The, the, it's really, really hard to like, to talk about the mitigating factors of like, how do you avoid the disaster when you've already lit the fuse? You're just wait like the fuse is between 14 and 30 days long. We don't even know what the effect is going to be yet. Um, and we won't know for a while. Um, so uh, we're riding, folks, we're riding this one out because the way to avoid this was to never be in this situation. Exactly. Uh, and we had, and we're not getting out of it. We're riding this, we're riding this out. There's no, there's no way there's out of it now. no way around uh, it. The best this thing is we, not, yeah, this the is best not... thing that we can do right now is to uh, encourage whoever is producing these tests to do so um, effectively and quickly and distribute them rapidly and go from there. But companies until very recently weren't even allowed to distribute the tests. (laughs) Um, And it's actually from, it's from the same New York times article that uh, you posted earlier with Dr. Chu with Dr. Chu. Right. Uh, Right. Yeah. So this is just an excerpt from that article. New tests typically require validation running the tests on known positive samples from a from a patient or a copy of the virus genome. The right. FDA's process calls for five. Obtaining such samples have been hard because most hospital labs have not seen the coronavirus at time of publication. So they didn't even have the ability. They had to have five different positive tests before ever seeing the virus in order to validate the test. Couldn't we have done that in a lab like six months ago? Like, didn't we have samples of this virus frozen in a freezer somewhere? Because mm-hmm. coronavirus is not new. It's the strain of it that came out this year that's, you know, that's new, right. so quickly. But this is not, we could have tested for this in a lab and had these tests out and about with plenty of time to go. I know that there's thousands of viruses out there that like haven't, you know, been exposed to humanity yet. So there's reasons, there's legitimate reasons why these tests may not exist, and that's fine. But once you know, as they knew in January, that this existed, you have to go that day. Your job starts right then. You right. have to move on this. And in February, it was fake. In early March, it was fake. Yeah. Until until the NBA Democrat shut down. Hoax. Yep. And billion-dollar industry say, started saying, of course, the private sector responds faster. Of course. But the NBA, independent of the government, said, this is fake. We're not doing – like, this is real. This is not fake. This is this a is real not, thing. This and is not a, a democratic to, hoax. Yeah. 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 And this is a danger to our employees and our customers for us to mm-hmm. continue operating in this manner. We're shutting down. And it wasn't until after the NBA did that and after Major League Baseball did that and a few other sports started doing that. And then the government took notice. Yeah, I, It shouldn't take Adam Silver 
to convince the CDC to act. Right. <laughs> right. So for my Trump supporting followers out there, first of all, all thanks for them. Th- no, I actually quite a few. I have, I have a very large Trump supporting contingent. I have my, my, my viewing, my, I'm not sure what pipeline I'm creating here, but it's a scary one because <laughs> I have viewers across the political spectrum and I love all of them. I need you guys to consider the possibility that the reason that Italy and South Korea and China and, and, and Iran and the U.S. and Canada and an increasing number of countries are dealing with a healthcare crisis and seeing their hospitals fill up with sick and dying people that they don't have enough resources to treat. I need you to consider the possibility that that isn't happening as some kind of uh, scam to make Donald Trump look bad prior to the election. Like, I, I, I just, I, I would like you to consider that possibility that this has nothing to do with whether or not Donald Trump gets reelected uh, in November, that this is maybe a thing that's actually happening to people. I lovingly encourage that. So, yeah, the uh, the Iranian sanctions are really helping out with their ability to treat a pandemic, really, by the way. That's, really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... That's, uh, that's definitely not cruel and unusual or uh, just, you know intentionally kicking somebody while they're down because you don't like them yep exactly no uh, i mean shout out to yemen though yeah shout out to yemen yeah yemen's getting all the 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 materials they need they're just exploding um so anyway so uh, of course we're still not doing widespread testing so as we know i'm gonna make a lot of fans on this show there is a. By the way, this show is usually a lot more funny than this. Uh, usually more humorous show, but this is a. This I mean, is not. It's I not mean, a humorous you subject. Me in to talk about a pandemic, we could have yeah, talked yeah. about other yeah, like really you, upbeat things. Why, like why, uh, why aren't you? you know, why aren't you? Why aren't you making climate. the pandemic? Why aren't you making the pandemic funnier, Jordan? Come on. Um, so, as we know, there is a fairly sizable group in the U.S. Many of them in libertarian circles, but really across the spectrum, uh, who say that they are prepared for everything from economic collapse to nuclear war to a foreign invasion to the boogaloo uh, to that thing that happened in revolution where the power stopped working forever and everything in between. They are ready for anything that, that happens. Many of these people are currently having an extremely difficult time with the fact that they can't attend football games temporarily. Do you have any thoughts on that phenomenon? Uh. As someone who lives in a hurricane zone, and I know that you do too because you live yep. in Myrtle Beach, right? Oh, yeah. Um, as someone who lives in a hurricane zone, on a regular basis, I am prepared just because they tell everybody who lives in hurricane zones, have a set amount of supplies that will last you for about a month if yep. you lose water, mm-hmm. if you lose power, and if you lose um, the ability to leave your home. Like if, if something happens to your car, you just can't go anywhere. Which happens. The number of people... Yeah, the number of people who were not prepared apparently to leave their own bathrooms horrifies me on like a visceral level. It was just it's disturbing for me to see like not even anything that has like happened yet, but people bought stores out of essential supplies because apparently one they didn't have them. They didn't have it. And two, they thought they thought that this is the thing that you hoard. Nobody like it's. I know it's anecdotal data, but whatever. My local Publix, the canned food aisle is fine. <laughs> Not here. The the water bottle and toilet paper aisles are empty. People do not know how to prepare for a disaster at all. Because, it, like, and it would be different if like 
dysentery was the outbreak. But right. But why? But what? Of yeah. all the things that you're going to decide that you're going to stock up on, why is toilet paper the yeah. thing? A household of three people uses 50 rolls of toilet paper in two months. Some of y'all have a lot of toilet paper. I don't know what you think is going to be coming out when you run out of food because, like, it's like rice and canned foods. Imagine a scenario, and you're right, Jordan, a lot of people right now are not used to the idea of a semi-apocalyptic event that could affect them for weeks like we are. Imagine right, a scenario... But, like, I... But I live in Florida. We have power right. outages that last for weeks at a time sometimes, right. along with, you know, 300-mile-per-hour winds or whatever it was that hit us last year. Right, right, right. And, and nobody other than the people who, like, get hit in that initial, you know, the brunt of the storm, you don't hear about people, you know, dying of exposure in the months following a hurricane. Right, right, because right. Because people are prepared for it. Right. How do people nationwide not know, hey, buy food that's not going to go bad if we leave the house? Buy food that's like, not going to go bad if the power plant shuts down for a period of a few weeks because there's, there's an outbreak there and they have to sanitize it or something. Like, I, I don't think we're going to end up in a, in a Stone Age situation where we don't have power or water for months at a time or anything like that. But we could have brownouts. We could have blackouts. We could have temporary situations where there is no power, where whatever you got, you know, all the, all the freaking hot dogs you went out and bought and stacked in the fridge aren't going to be good after a couple days because, you know, or, or a few days if you keep the fridge closed. Uh, which probably won't. You'll probably be panicking all the time. Uh, uh, you know, th- that the possibility that you're going to have to be living on like canned goods and, and you know, a propane heater and or a propane uh, um, uh, a cooker and, you know, like ways to cook your food without power. Um, that's in a sustainable way, not just, you know, camping once, but like eating that way for weeks, maybe, or, or at least days. Um, I was shocked by just the sheer number of people who apparently didn't have any soap. Like, what have you, like... Mm-hmm. The way I've saw people, what do you mean I have to wash my hands five times a day? And I'm like, you haven't been washing your hands five times a day? Like, it's just... Right. How many, how many times... First of all, it, it deters me when those two things were together. One, that people apparently need this much toilet paper. Right. And this is a necessary thing. And also, that they don't need that much soap. Like, what is your life like that you have this much toilet paper and don't wash your hands? What are you doing? What are you doing? It's like... It's, at this point, I'm just surprised that we haven't all died of hepatitis before now. Because apparently fr- people don't know how indoor plumbing works. It's it's crazy. Uh, Adam Karabachi says, no need to go crazy over a water stock, get a water filter. That's true in ideal situations, right. Adams. But we we here, me and Jordan, I don't know where you live, Adam. I, but we we often, sometimes once a year, deal with the situations in which we either don't have water because you know, because the all you know, everything is off. The grid is off, or uh, because of flooding. Now that that's not going to affect us in this situation necessarily, but because of flooding, the water is no good. You can't have it. the The water table's risen to the point where you know it's infected. So, so no, you kind of do need at least some bottled water. In this case, right. You know, uh, that's that's less likely. Obviously, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm less likely. About, uh, it's less likely in this situation that we're going to have like massive blackouts or right, right, like right. A, a loss of water quality or whatever. Yeah. Um, I can say that. Um, from I have family that works for the power company and uh, they work for Georgia Power, um, where they're sending people out to like restore power lines that like just on regular occasions a tree will fall down over a power right. line and it will take yeah. out power for like a neighborhood. They're sending two man crews to repair it because they don't want more than five people together at a time. Right. 
So, so it's more like slowdowns uh, of it, stuff. Like if you lose your power, yeah. you might, instead of not having it for a few hours, it might be two, three days that you don't have it, but it's not like this well, widespread. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In, in this case, it's like a few hours, it's, but it's a few hours instead of like, you know, we'll have it back on in 15 minutes. It's right. Right. right okay. Right. We'll have it. We'll have it, you know, back on quickly, but we're going to have it back on quickly with a two or three man crew instead of a five or six man crew or whatever right. they normally run because right, right, they're right. just trying to keep their numbers low. Right. Uh, and right. so that's, uh, just the number of people who claim that they're prepared for everything who immediately either didn't react or completely lost their minds when this happened. I don't have any faith in our survival abilities if something bad kicks off in a hurry. Yeah. Um, it might be our saving grace that this has a low, you know, a long incubation period. Because God help us if all of this hit at once. If we all um, just got sick immediately, then it would be like, ah, yeah, no, that's a good point. So it's kind of, it kind of spares us from our own human nature that it, we might, it might even be 30 days that it takes for some of us to get it. And most of us aren't even going to, even though it means it's going to spread way more, the idea of like even 10% of us just really getting sick real quickly might scare the crap out of everyone even more. It's, it's a frightening right. thing, man. Like, I mean, I have people who straight up are like, you know, they're ready for freaking nuclear winter, but man... What do you mean I can't go to the bar? And it's like, guys, like, right? <laughs> what did you did you think the My bar was going to be it, open during nuclear winter? Yeah, like, did you think that you know the NFL's still going to be gone? Like, I don't care how good the Braves are if the bombs drop, the Braves aren't playing. Like, this is not like I don't. Florida State was a top five team, right? We were going like we won the ACC and. They're not even having the tournament, and people are so angry about that, and we're just kind of sitting in a medical school going like, what are you doing? We're trying to why is this your Why is this your problem right now? Oh, and what really made it mad, so I've been telling people, listen, you know, we want you to not die, and here are the things we'd like you to do. I made the mistake of telling people that, you know, maybe your kids and pets aren't thrilled to have you home all day either. They got even more angry about that than about the dying <laughs> thing. Like, how dare you assert that my pets don't want me around them all the time? My pets don't need personal space. Anyway, so so I, I want to talk about, uh, we do currently have some drugs. Uh, there are currently some drugs for HIV and I believe Ebola that may, I, there's been some anecdotal evidence that seems to have some promise in treating COVID-19. You just said there was just something that came up to be using para something. Right, right. Okay, so um, one of the earlier announcements today, uh, and granted, I don't want to like, there's so much information coming out about this every day that I don't right. want to give like any solid numbers or any solid, yeah, yeah. like this is the new development. And then we find out tomorrow that it, you know, is not true. Um, but I can say that about an hour before um, we went on. And then earlier today, um, there were announcements from, I believe the world health organization about which drugs you can use to treat the symptoms of COVID-19. Okay. Uh, the original statements were that, uh, for whatever reason, uh, anti-inflammatory drugs such as ibuprofen um, were not recommended because the nature of the anti-inflammatory drugs could aggravate the infection. Oh. And they were uh, recommending um, acetaminophen uh, instead of ibuprofen uh but telling people to be very careful with the use of acetaminophen because if you take too much of it, it can cause liver problems and other like related things. The problem is that anything that gets posted on the internet now uh, is just a media source 
reposting a government agency which is supposedly citing some scientist who's some study that, that came out right 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 so then, so, um, so it was so okay. So they're saying stay away from NSAIDs and focus on acetaminophen, even though usually they tell you to alternate between them to avoid too much damage to a specific organ because one works through one organ and one filters through the other. So they, I, I know when I had the flu, they said alternate between Tylenol, which is acetaminophen, and ibuprofen, which is ibuprofen. Um, uh, right. So what is the other one? Para, you were saying para something, but that's still symptomology. Tra- that's still symptomatic treatment. That's not actually treating the... Right, the right, right. See, that's the thing. There's a back and forth sources saying whether or not to use ibuprofen. Right. Uh, depending on, um, like, I'm looking at, this is, I've just got my laptop open in front of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Channel4.com, which is uh, from the UK, I believe. Right. Yeah. BBC4, um, yeah. 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 So this is saying that the release came from uh, France, which was the original source saying not to use ibuprofen. Uh, but the BBC Channel 4 is saying that uh, we've seen lurid fake messages circulating about the supposed dangers of people with coronavirus symptoms taking anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen. These scare stories are not true, and oh, doctors no. say that there are good reasons to prefer acetaminophen to ibuprofen. The latest NHS advice says that there's no strong evidence that ibuprofen worsens the symptoms of COVID-19, but recommend that people take uh, acetaminophen, paras- uh, well, paracetamol, which is another word for acetaminophen, it's Advil, um, until okay, more so, is known. So paracetamol is just another word for acetaminophen? Yeah. It's, it's, oh, okay, okay, okay. The, the brands are uh, Tylenol, uh, Matpat, Feverol, uh, Telefenol, Farbetatol, um, Advil. You know, it's, yeah, just the different brands of this over-the-counter pain reliever, which you might be taking to treat symptoms of coronavirus. There's, be- like, every time something comes out about, like, what possible thing should be done, Yeah, there's an immediately a conflicting media story saying that either this is a hoax or that this is true, and then the media stories just argue over each other. So... <laughs> And, and meanwhile, um, people are taking this stuff as gospel, running to the store and buying all of the acetaminophen on the shelf like right. an idiot. Right, right. Right. And this is like, this is saying that like it came from a news story from France, which was contradicted by the NHS in Great Britain and came to the US and people are arguing over like whether or not this whether source or this real. source right, right, right. is correct about whether or not to take ibuprofen for the symptoms of coronavirus, keeping in mind that you could have a cough and a headache without being positive for the coronavirus because it's also allergy season. It's allergy season and it's flu and cold season. I've, I've been having stuffy throat and stuff and I keep checking myself for fever and have none. So I'm pretty sure it's just like a, a you know, a sinus thing or whatever. And I went to the doctor and she said, yeah, there's no redness. You're not, you're not sick, sick. You're just dealing with 80% of people are walking around. It's, it's yellow outside. Like we're in the deep south. Right. It's freaking yellow outside. Yeah. The first day of the supposed, you know, uh, social isolation quarantines, I walked outside and my car was green. <laughs> like, you're going to cough there's, there's, there's that much pollen in the air. Of course people are coughing and have runny noses and watery eyes or whatever else. It's because, like, there's other things it could be. And so people are, like, there's always the freak out of, like, this is a disease. 
This is what other people think the disease is. There's yeah. usually some discrepancy between those two things. Right, right, right. And then there's what people do in like a knee-jerk reaction to thinking that they have the disease. Correct. Which is by everything that they might possibly <laughs> ever need, regardless of whether or not they're going to need it. They don't all of it. really ever know what they need. And by all um, of it. By all of it on the shelf. Yeah. Not just like, I mean, so I went out and got some extra acetaminophen and extra ibuprofen. I got two 180 or 200 and whatever the big thing. I got two of those. That should cover us for a couple months if we all got sick. I, didn't, I saw people mm-hmm. like clearing the shelves. I'm like, what the fuck? Like you have 20 people living at home. You think this is going to last a decade? Like what, what are you preparing for? And why is there no rice in your cart, sir? Like, you know, like what, what are you going to trade this for rice with other people in this new barter society when our economic system collapses? Like what precisely are you doing here? So, okay. So there are some treatments that have come out that might potentially actually reduce the uh, intensity, sort of like a Tamiflu for COVID. So there's like a HIV drug and an Ebola drug. It's way too early to know if those are effective, but with right to try laws and other countries that don't even have such a thing, you can just use it. We're going to find out soon enough if those work. We also potentially have a vaccine that, or many vaccines that are being worked on that could be ready for wide distribution within the next year to 18 months. Here's my right. question. I am not an anti-vaxxer. I don't care. I'm probably already mildly on the spectrum anyway. So if this helped push me over to, I'm not worried about that. Like seriously. Um, so, but, but with that said, how confident are you in having basically every non-infected person on earth injected with a vaccine that could, that would have basically just been fresh out of clinical trials? Do these kinds of vaccines typically have like a safe enough safety profile that we're confident in giving almost everyone on earth a shot of something that we don't have 20 years of studies to show if it's safe or not? Well, it depends on what kind of, uh, whether or not it's going to be, I don't know what kind of viruses are, or whether or not they're using like a live virus or attenuated virus or dead right. virus or whether or not they're using viral coat proteins. Um, I don't know if COVID-19, I don't know the, uh, the mutation rate. So uh, for instance, the flu. The flu, right. we have the same basic formula that comes out every year, yep. and they've just changed the strains of the flu that they're uh, vaccinating for in that strain or in that shot. Mm. They take the top three or four, whichever the most common strains that they think, based on projections of the previous year, put that in the vaccine, and that's the vaccine that goes out for distribution. Uh, and then the effectiveness rate based on you know immunizing people to those strains is varies year to year. It's obviously not 100% effective because the vaccine – is based on three strains, and there's so many strains of the flu that you can't get them all. Right, right. Um, with the coronavirus, I don't think we know the mutation rate yet. I don't think we know. If somebody knows, I don't. I'm not going to speculate on something. Okay. I'm not going to give you an answer that I don't know for sure. I'm not going to have this like, you know, I'm not going to. But if it's the only thing that they're changing is from previous vaccines is like the viral coat protein that is right. within the vaccine that is being sent out, uh, then the same ingredients would in theory be used to treat that. The same flu shot that comes out, I say the same, a different flu shot comes out every year with the same materials, the same ingredients, the same set list of stuff that's in it every year with a different strain that is targeted by that vaccine. Um, barring severe autoimmune cases or uh, giving the vaccine to a person who's already immunocompromised, things like that. We've never seen um, 
other than like you could have a contaminated batch sometimes, but I mean, it, the vaccines are not going to be the problem here. The problem uh, presented mostly is that we don't know we don't have that vaccine yet. We right. don't know the the efficacy of the vaccine. So even if we have one that produced that it's safe, we don't know the success rate of it. Right. We don't know how fast this particular strain of COVID nineteen is going to, or the, we don't know how fast this particular vaccine is going to have to be updated. Right. So we have to update the flu every year. If, or, or how you know, long the immunity if, would, or how long the immunity would be, because that's another right. question. Like, right? Because we also have to have for certain vaccines, we have to have, uh, you know, every decade we have to have a booster, right. or we have to have, you know, uh, you know, a series of shots, like we have to do for um, some of the hepatitis vaccines or the MMRs or whatever. Um, my my biggest concern with the vaccines is not even that there won't be one that will be developed that will be effective and safe and whatever else, because we'll, we'll get that. We okay. will eventually, I don't know how many trials it's going to take. I don't know which company is going to do it, but we'll get one. The thing that scared me the most about the vaccines is that the United States government tried to go to companies and ask for exclusive yes. rights to vaccines. That <sighs> horrifies me on every level and if that doesn't scare you it should because that means that you have not ever paid attention to what the united states government does when they're the only person in the world that owns something and then tries to charge for use of it yeah what is the functional purpose that they then charge other countries for it or that they deny it to countries that politically they don't like i, I mean we're already doing that to iran <laughs> that's what i'm saying is this truly just to like make sure everyone in iran dies because screw them i mean is that like what this is about? I, I I think because from the it was from a German company yeah uh, that reported this to the to the government within within Germany that representatives in the United States government said that they were trying to buy the exclusive rights to the vaccine right. so that it would be used only within the United States. Uh, Why? And of course, well, two things. One, that's incredibly incredibly stupid to ask of a German research company. <laughs> like, hey, I know that you're making this thing that prevents this horrible disease. Uh, can I give you money and you're not allowed to give it to your kids? Just asking for a friend. Um, you know, just whatever. It's bad enough uh, to ask an two, American company that, but yeah, it's like, you can't give this to your kids or your friends or neighbors, just us. Right. So... That's that's a problem, but also the idea that somebody within the United States government, and I don't know, I don't know who gave the order for that, but it sounds familiar. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it doesn't sound but, like it doesn't sound like something that came from like, for example, a like rationally thinking adult who sees any real functional purpose to the U.S. having exclusive use of a drug whose purpose is to create herd immunity so it doesn't just endlessly spread around the world. That sounds like the actions of, oh, I don't know, a man-child who doesn't really think through yeah. their actions in any real way but just wants it for me because I'm, I'm the best. Well, it sounds like this is pure speculation. Of course. But if I were constantly talking about how good I was at trade deals... And I had something that prevents mass casualties. Yeah. And I wanted a negotiating chip. Oh. That might come up. That That's just me speculating. 
but then, but, the, but like you said, the idea of who would actually participate in this idea that you give them a certain amount of money and their kids are still susceptible to it. Like it's a real level right. of chutzpah to even it's, suggest that kind of a, of a, of a trade. Right. It's, it's, I'm not saying the person who had this plan was smart, but, um, <laughs> I'm not, either. that's, yeah. Okay. So then you're not, so then you're not willing mm-hmm. to, to, uh, cause I said, I, I'd be lying if I said the idea of injecting everyone who hadn't gotten stick with something that hasn't been around a while didn't scare me a little. You, you're not, that's not something that concerns you in terms of safety. These things are usually pretty safe in terms of side effects and stuff. It's more just how effective it's going to be in the first place. Right. Um, basically, anyone who and they ask you this when you get a flu shot, or they should. Um, yeah. There are known risks to taking vaccines, which is why certain people can't get them. Uh, they tell people with autoimmune disorders. Uh, they tell people who are who, kids who are too young to receive them. People who are um, you know undergoing other medical treatments. Uh, right. You know, I have right. friends so with for, type one so, diabetes, uh, multiple sclerosis, uh, Sjogren's syndrome, uh, fibromyalgia, yeah. things like that. Right. can't have these vaccines because you can't give someone who's already got a basically overclocked immune system something that's going to ramp up their immune system more right um so i so i so, have i have ms and i take uh, a uh, immunomodulator for it um they they don't call it an immunosuppressant even though it does mildly suppress my immune system but not enough for them to call it one or whatever but it does change the right. profile of my immune system and as a result of that they tell me not to get the 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 um the uh, the live vaccine where you don't have to get an infection you don't have to get injected you you take it through your nose or something so it's a lot easier they say if I'm going to get a flu yeah. shot then get the actual shot because that's the dead vaccine that there is some possibility that I could actually get the flu or have some kind of reaction to the live vaccine um, because right. of my situation which is the reason why they try to do herd immunity for people like me in the case of me specifically I can take the flu shot but there may be other ones I can't take and for example someone who's on chemotherapy where their immune system is can't take shot any of them yeah. yeah, can't take any of them because their immune system's shot. My immune system, I went to, a, to a, a Libertarian Party convention in Georgia and was one of the few people there that didn't get sick. Turns out it's because no one washes their hands but me, but that's a whole other subject. Um, apparently, we've, <laughs> we've discovered that no one, wa- apparently no one washes their hands. But regardless, my immune system was strong enough for me to be able to be around people and not get sick, even though they did. But someone on chemo, they can't do any of that. And they can't take any right. of these vaccines. So the whole point is, you know, herd immunity. Make sure that there's as many people that are immune to reduce the risk of them getting it from, you know, from someone else. Right. And there's also, I mean, you're going to get, uh, being anti-vaccine is not a partisan issue. It's not a left-right thing. They have different reasons for opposing it. But, I mean, it's, none of those reasons are scientifically based. Right. Um, like, people, uh, one of the reasons, one of the things that they ask you if you're getting the flu shot, um, they ask you if you're allergic to eggs. Or chicken. It's because the flu shot is cultured in uh, chicken eggs. Oh, really? So I can't yeah, get it then. That. I'm allergic to eggs. Have you, have they never, well, it depends on which strain or which um, company they're ordering the vaccine from. Some of them are cultured in chicken eggs. So the last few years that I've gotten the flu shot, one of the questions that they've asked me before giving me the shot was, are you allergic to eggs? And that was one of the things that they told us in our immunology classes is that some of these vaccines are cultured in chicken eggs. Because you have to, um, like, they're, they're using uh, enzymes for, and uh, just other different kinds of proteins from chicken or from the chicken eggs to make the proteins, which are consistent in the vaccines. Which explains, um, that explains how I got autism then. 
<laughs> I don't. We still don't have a call for that one. Um, but yeah, it, I'm I'm less worried about the 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 side effects of vaccination. Um, they're very few. They're very minimal. Okay. Um, there are occasionally people who like, especially as young children, who don't know that they have an autoimmune disorder or don't know that they have, because who's going to test a three-year-old or a five-year-old for a relatively obscure autoimmune disorder before you give them their shots to go to kindergarten or pre-K? Um, so if it's a one in 5,000 shot, you're, you're not going to ask that. Most people don't even know to ask the question before they get their kids vaccines. Right, um, right, right. And it's going to be, and, what, even if it's one in 5,000, that's still far less risk than actually just letting them get COVID and, and get sick from that. So whatever it is, oh, it's going to be. I was thinking about measles, but yes, um, basically that. Because yep. we've had measles outbreaks recently. They just weren't like this widespread yep. uh, because there is a vaccine for measles and most people still take it. Um, it's gonna be, One of the interesting questions in the next few years is going to be like how this affects people's opinions of healthcare. Yeah. Because this is people are finally getting to see like this is what happens when you let something let this kind of virus go unchecked. Yep. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see whether or not it you know inspires people to look into actual medical sources about vaccination and read them thoroughly, or whether or not it turns people more hardcore into all of this is a government conspiracy because we got quarantined for three months and I didn't even cough one time. Right. And it's going to be interesting to see those two things play out. Yeah. I mean, listen, honestly, the whole time you're talking, I'm just thinking this is the chemtrails talking and I'm very sad. I'm very <laughs> sad for you. I'm extremely sad for you. You know, it's sad that at such a young age, you've already, uh, your, your frogs are already gay and, uh, there's not, oh, yeah, I'm making the floor. I'm making the fluoride face the entire time you're making. I'm sure. So like there's it. So you were talking about the animal, right? The fluoride face. So you're mate. So the animals you have, those are all gay frogs, correct? Um, no, those are just – well, I have gay frogs, but those are just a pet. Uh, okay. The animals that I have here are actually just laboratory animals that we maintain for the sake of you know, continuing our, our regular work within medical research facilities. Right. So maintain as in convert to homosexuality. Uh, well, most of them, yes. Yeah. So we have a few that – we have a hybrid one that we're working out that's also trying to like – Like a trans um, one? No, we – well <laughs> – I mean, we don't have enough vaccines to do that yet. <laughs> now, now, if you get the GMO diet with the vaccines, oh, that yeah, might the happen. the GMO, fluoride, vaccines, and chemtrails, then you end up with, you know, with uh, gender dysphoria in a, in, a, in a rat. That makes sense. So, okay, speaking uh, of drugs, uh, speaking of drugs. See, like, I know you're joking, but there's absolutely no, somebody out there watching this going, like, I knew it. He's on to us. A third of, <laughs> a third of my audience right now has already put on the tinfoil just in case, just in case. Yeah. Um, so speaking of drugs and treatments, uh, as libertarians, we already believe the war on drugs is wrong. It puts people in cages for buying, selling, and using substances in their own bodies. Uh, it gives people criminal records, even though they didn't actually harm anyone else. Uh, it ruins their lives. Uh, it drives the drug market into the black market, into the criminal element, which makes both the uh, the product and the suppliers more dangerous. It makes everything worse. Uh, it provides, uh, it gives government a way to uh, secretly and illegally fund their clandestine intelligence operations. There's nothing good about it in any real way. It drives uh, racial divides. It enforces stereotypes. It, it, there's nothing good about the war on drugs. Something we don't talk about a lot, 
and which you are very familiar with, is the fact that the, uh, the war on drugs also makes it harder for us, for you, I'm sitting in my guest room, I'm, 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 I'm not doing anything, but it makes it harder for you uh, to find treatments for illnesses. Tell us about that. Okay, so um, we've obviously seen in the past few years, uh, despite, you know, the conspiracies that marijuana cures cancer, it doesn't. Right. Don't, don't, don't get carried away with this. But there are... Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> but there are plenty of examples of useful treatments for drugs that have been deemed illegal um, that we don't actually know that much about because it's been illegal to do these kinds of work using them for this long. Um, there's also uh, within drugs that are legal, they're not accepted as legal use for other topics. Um, for Marijuana obviously being the biggest one because it's getting – more and more cleared on a state-by-state state level as legal for either medicinal or recreational. Right. Um, but that's 50 years behind the curve right, at this right, point. Right. Yeah. Um, like, not to mention, you know, the usefulness of, like, CBD oil for, you know, fighting inflammation or yeah. fighting, you know, people who have seizure disorders or whatever. We could have had all of this decades ago. Right. And we just opted not to because the government decided that it was going to base policy on propagated falsehoods about these substances, which even if they were exactly as dangerous as they say they are, which they're, they're not, they're but not. even if they were exactly as dangerous as all of the made-up stories about marijuana said it was, they still had no right to tell you that you couldn't do it to yourself. No, or that you couldn't at least use it to test to see if it's if it's medicinal. Listen, we all know heroin's terrible, right? Like, we know you shouldn't do heroin. Like, heroin has a nearly 100% rate of bad things happening to you until you eventually stop using it, whether it's because you died or because you got clean. But we still let, you know, opioids get tested for treatments and things like that. We still let cocaine right. get treatment, tested for treatments. Marijuana has the highest level of control on it, which means you can't use it for any, you can't test, you can use LSD, you can use uh, whatever it is that's in the mushrooms, you can use all this, psilocybin, you can, use, yeah, psilocybin. you can use all of this stuff, but not weed. And now I say this to someone, I am a 14-year clean drug addict. I don't smoke weed. I don't uh, uh, drink uh, alcohol even. I don't do any of the hard stuff. I don't even do like when they want to give you hydrocodone after like when you syrup, when you feel sick. I don't do any of that stuff. So this isn't my personal like, I'm going to get high, man. Like it's not that. It's that, first of all, it's no one's business. But second of all, it's actually making it harder for you as a scientist to find ways to treat us with, with you know, with with something that could be far have far less uh, uh, side effects that could be cheaper and more widespread that could actually make things better so that we don't have, for example, oh I don't know, hypothetically an opioid crisis where people who need higher and higher levels of opioids to deal with chronic pain issues end up because of restrictions on them being able to use it, they end up turning to you know black tar heroin because because they can get it or 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 you know uh, uh, getting uh, their pills illegally by someone else who's getting them. And then selling them rather than maybe, right. I don't know, smoking a joint or, or taking something that's synthesized, you know, THC or, or, you know, yeah. eating, eating, you know, taking a pill that's, you know, concentrated THC or something like that. I was going to say the, uh, I don't know many people who have taken both for pain. I I've never taken, I've never taken opioids and I haven't smoked marijuana for 
very long time. Peter, if you're still watching, I still hate you. Um, but if you've ever compared anyone who's taken opioids for pain um, versus taking opioids for recreation, right? you don't just start taking – like you don't start at heroin. Right, right, That's right. That's not a – like you've never – there's no – there's never been in any case study I've ever seen where a person – went from I have nothing going on in my life that would cause me any kind of problem. I just take some Thursday, heroin. I was bored and I had black tar heroin just laying around. So I said, Might as well try it. That's just never happened. On, man. That has never once months. happened. Right. No one has ever started taking crystal meth. Like that's not it doesn't happen. No one there's never been anyone's introduction to drugs is they just decide today that they're gonna start smoking meth. Right. Just that's not how so it's either it's either an introduction through like they're self-medicating or they're experimenting with drugs when they're a teenager in college because that's what everyone does. Right. It, it, so if someone is addicted to opioids, um, they either went down a series of other black market drugs that right. led them to either pills or heroin or whatever that they're getting illegally or – they had some kind of prescription for opioids that they lost control of, and they're now addicted to pills. And whether or not they can continue to get, to get these pills is whether or not they can is whether or not they turn to the black market or either go to rehab. Right, right. Um, and uh, there's a huge stigma in the United States and in most of the world about being addicted to a given substance or a given activity or whatever, and I, I understand why that exists because we stigmatize it so bad, but it doesn't. It does not make sense. It doesn't help people. that we look da- that we look down on addicts the way that we do. Yeah, it's terrible. Because we don't, like, especially when they like, there's this massive, massive issue with people admitting that they're an addict, um, because somehow admitting it makes it worse to some yeah. people. Yep. Um, so. It's one of those – we've caused this problem ourselves, but when you look at um, what did making these drugs – what did making it turn to the black market actually accomplish? Like what did the war on drugs do effectively? It, cre- it created a it's- giant – it created a giant government boondoggle of the, you know, the whole prison industrial complex. It created all sorts of, you know, ways for, you know, cronious to make money uh, by building prisons and building stuff for these the ever militarizing police state that we live under. It, it did, basically did a bunch of horrible things. It gave Richard Nixon a way to, uh, to instead of attack his opponents as hippies and black people, he got to attack them as cocaine and marijuana fiends and addicts and throw them in prison and give them uh, uh, charges so that they couldn't engage in the political process. They couldn't vote or, or you know, I mean, they, a lot of them were in jail, so they couldn't do anything. But even once they were out, they couldn't vote. Um, it, it, it and that, gave continued, government... that continued through the Reagan and huh? Bush Sr. And, and Bush Jr. and, and Clinton. And, and Clinton. Like, and it's continuing now. Yep. yep. It's continuing and now. we're just sitting here accepting it as if this, like, as if these misconceptions about the drugs themselves and the people who use them are based on reality when they're not, but you're also looking at whether or not the uh, the drugs themselves could be used in clinical settings as something useful. Yep. And we're just not even we're not looking into like 
even if you're looking into it, like so they say that uh, MDMA is being used for treatment of PTSD, anxiety, right. depression. Yep. Um, so are psilocybin, which you know, mushrooms. Yeah. Um, they, there's people within the facility that I work for that test ketamine as a treatment for depression. Yep. No, I have a friend. Um, I have a friend who gets uh, ketamine infusions every however many weeks, and it changed her life. Mm-hmm. Like she's but okay now. Ketamine, but ketamine um, is uh, legal to use on animals, and it's legal to use in people as an anesthetic. Like right. if you're going under for surgery, like I was given ketamine when I had my wisdom pee taken out. Okay. As part of a larger cocktail of stuff that, you know, they give you. Um, but not weed. Un- but until recently, ketamine was not FDA approved to treat depression. It was already available for humans to take. You can go to a doctor and they can give you ketamine. But if you say that you're taking it for depression, it changes how the government assigns like value to this drug <laughs> and that is patently absurd whether they the will, drug is going to whether like they, whether or not you're using it to like treat depression or using it to like be put unconscious to have your wisdom teeth taken out was treated the same right but like it, it it's treated the same by the body but the government sees it as different things right and because the government sees it as different things insurance companies see it as different things mm-hmm. which is why um your friend who is getting the iv infusions of ketamine did they ever mention a price for that uh, I, I do know that it's not covered by insurance she's paying out of pocket that i do know uh, the number probably has a comma in it oh, for I'm a sure. monthly treatment she can and she can afford it and she's talked about that how it's not cheap but it she'll do it because it absolutely changed her life but the reason of that cost is because they will put you in a cage over whether you're using mm-hmm. it for a body ouchie or an emotional ouchie. Like, it really, it mm-hmm. even though, you know, an ouchie's an ouchie's, guys. Like, I mean, you know, it, 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 putting aside the, even if she wanted to use it to have fun for the weekend, you know, it's not something I think is a great idea, but it's her body. It's, but even it's, if really, take, it's really not a great idea. It's, to, no, it's like, a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. Really should but not. If you're taking it. It, but if you're taking it because... To even get cleared for a ketamine clinical trial, mm. you have to have treatment-resistant depression. They will not give it to you unless you are considered treatment-resistant. To get to ketamine, you have to have taken at least two other antidepressants and had no effect. Like, had no sym- symptomatic relief. Right. Which means that uh, you were depressed for a period of time. You decided that you were depressed enough to go to a doctor. The doctor gave you one drug whatever it was, uh, you took it for a period of at least a few months, probably. It didn't work. You probably went back to the doctor, and they either upped the dose of it or gave you something else. Right. At this point, you've probably been depressed for about six months, minimum. <laughs> yeah. Following that, then you go back and say, even with the higher dose, it doesn't work. They put you on a different kind of drug. Right, right. Different kind of drug for about three months. That still doesn't work. They up the dose then. So now you're looking at you've been depressed enough to talk to a doctor about it for six months to a year with no improvement. Right. People do this for decades. Yeah. And just live with it. Yeah. Ketamine works, and and the patient said it works, and I'm not saying that 
that ketamine is like a panacea for depression. I'm not right, saying that everyone who's ever taken that everyone who's ever taken ketamine immediately got better. On average, in the for people with treatment resistant depression, ketamine works in less than an hour. They've been dealing with That's this for incredible. months and years. They've been dealing with this for years, sometimes decades. They get it. And and she described it that way. She's like, I took it. I was very nervous the first time because you hear it's this potentially dangerous drug. And they explained how, you know, there was people there if, if anything happened and that, you know, I would be safe and whatever. And I was worried. I was worried. And all of a sudden, everything was okay and mm-hmm. has been since then. Right. That and I don't is... want to hype this up. I don't want to hype this yeah, up yeah. too badly. Like, no, ket- there's a reason that it's last. There's a yeah, reason yeah. that ketamine is the last thing that you get. Absolutely. Because like, it's, but also, there's no reason for it to be treated the way that it is. Like, there's no reason for it to cost um, the nasal spray that they got approved by the FDA. So, um, the nasal spray is approved for depression. Right. Um, and to get the nasal spray, you have to go to a registered clinic and have a nurse give it to you you're not allowed to self-administer ketamine which is probably for them for the people who manufacture ketamine the people who distribute it that's a good rule i was going to say for liability purposes probably yeah 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 like if there was if you're talking about like anarcho-capitalist like dreamland where there's no government involvement whatsoever having a doctor and a nurse who are trained to administer ketamine give you the ketamine is still a good idea of course because right. this is not something this is not something you want people to self-administer whenever they want it because ketamine can be addictive <laughs> yeah, yeah you can hallucinate on it uh, if you mix it with alcohol horrible things are gonna happen to you mm-hmm. but there's no reason for the nasal spray and the IV to be treated that much differently than just whatever else you're going to use ketamine for just right. because it's for depression. Right. Um, without, in- without insurance, the ketamine nasal spray is $900 a dose. Do you know anyone off the top of your head who can afford $900 of any medication on a weekly basis? Cause I don't, I'd have a tough time. Yeah. I work on these drugs, and I I don't know many people who can afford to pay yeah. nine hundred dollars every week. We'd have to make for some, one dose. We'd have to make some very tough decisions in our household. But I'll tell you something: if I had, I've I've battled, uh, you know, depression and anxiety or whatever. If I battled what some of these folks are dealing with, and I knew that for four grand a month or thirty five hundred a month, whatever, that I could be okay. I I mean a lot of people still can't afford it but I you know I would make whatever choices I had to. Most people aren't in a position to be able to make those kind of choices. And 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 right. and, and that's a huge problem. So the war on drugs is terrible and and you know we already knew the war on drugs is terrible. This just underscores yet another functional practical reason as to why the war on drugs is terrible. So guys, if you haven't if there's anything that you've taken from this show, I want it to be this. Stay 6 feet away from people whenever possible. Try to avoid large groups of people right now. Wash your damn hands and sanitize your damn hands and try to limit your face touching, you know, when you've touched something else in between hand washings. And, you know, and, 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 and you know. Also, you- uh, limit your heroin touching. I'm pretty, pretty strongly advising your that heroin- you limit your ha- <laughs> yeah. heroin touch. Yeah, try to touch heroin as little as possible. Preferably not at all. 
Um, if you can not touch heroin at all, that would be helpful. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, allow your frogs to discover their sexuality on their own. Stop trying to force your, your, your agenda on them. Uh, and then also, um, uh, you know, if you're gonna, if you think that you need 6,000 ibuprofen, you might want to get some rice too, be, and some propane and a propane, you know, uh, accessory, get a generator. Um, Get, get if you're going to do this for yourself get a generator yeah, if, if you're gonna, like if you're going to prepare for the end prepare for the end yeah, don't if, prepare if, for inconvenience right exactly yeah if you think that you're going to need that much ibuprofen the world's going in that direction then you're going to need to modify some of your decisions pretty quickly you're going to want to get a generator you're going to want to go ahead and take the car take that grill off your car and put it on your chest when you go out so you can mad max it through the world you know there's some choices you'll have to make so before i i, I move on to talking about the the vermin spike uh, 2020 update that I do uh, that I do whenever I do these shows. I want to give you a chance, uh, Jordan, to give any final thoughts you'd like to give. Anything that you. Uh, by the way, thanks for coming on. This has been a fantastic, nice Dude, short no two. Nice short we've two been hour talking about episode. this for so long. That's um, the problem, right, like, right? We've we've wanted to do a science show for a while. Um, right, right, right. We had we had so much to talk about for this one that we couldn't really get into like, um, how a lot of my undergraduate work was in like ecosystem maintenance and climate change and stuff like that. We'll have so to do we that. need to do another show. Oh yeah. We, yeah. We have to do this again. Yeah. We're um, absolutely doing this again. As like, yeah. a, as like a final thought, um, I had something for you that I was wondering in, in, in the keeping with, you know, maintaining, uh, sanitation and, uh, you know, in, in the midst of a viral outbreak, I was wondering, uh, because we're, we're so deep into this and you're doing this for Vermin's campaign. What we have here is a box of sterile shoe covers. Uh, I was wondering if you could get Vermin while he's on the campaign for the rest of the year, if he would wear a sterile boot cover in the name of, you know, if we're trying to do this, we're trying to do this. If he's going to wear a face mask, he might as well wear the shoe covers and the let, gloves and everything. Let me write that if down. We can as, get, hold on. Let me, yes. I, I want to. <laughs> yes. If we're going to do it, we're going to do this right, damn it. Do they so have. If he's going to wear that. Do they have? Boot I don't know. Like co- sterile boot. Co- I mean, they have. They have them for shoes. So it just it works on any shoe that you want to put it on. So if he's going to wear it for the rest of his campaign, while we're in an outbreak, he might as well. If he's going to, if we're going to have people out wearing gloves and face masks in public, Vermin can wear a shoe cover on that boot. There's well, no reason for him not to do this. Well, we do plan on doing some PSAs about social distancing where we will be like, hey, Vermin, hey, Spike, are we six feet away from each other? Yeah, we're 750 miles away from each other. Um, but for tick, because <laughs> the, t- the TikTok kids love our PSAs. Um, but um, I never thought I'd be talking about the TikTok kids, but now I'm running for office. So here we are. Um, but uh, <laughs> let me let me look into that, because if there is such a thing as a sterile boot cover, I will tell you right now that man will be wearing one at least occasionally, because uh, that is a great idea and hilarious. Um, uh, now, now, meanwhile, uh, his boot is is actually a boot cover. It's a rubber. It's a tingly they call it it's the tingly brand right. rubber boot cover because an actual boot that large would break his neck having to you know walk around <laughs> wearing that all the time right um and he actually uses a fun fact he uses a waffle house menu to keep it erect um uh nice. he uses that as a spine nice. a spine if you will uh to to keep his keep it nice and nice and, and ready to go baby holding an apple um but the um but so, but but I don't know if that's considered a sterile boot cover. But you're talking about like almost like it almost looks like a a, a hairnet, but for your your shoes, right? 
Right, like if you walk into a um, if you walk into certain hazmat areas or right. um, like sterile rooms and ICUs or whatever, you have to cover your shoes. Put those as things well on, to keep yeah. The ground yeah. clean. So I'm saying he should wear one for his hat. I'm gonna like try if to we're find... gonna have him wearing if we're gonna have him wearing that around all the time, we might as well have him wearing it with sterile. If if, if there we're is gonna one, do this, we're gonna do it right. We, even if we just have one just on the top part, like just you know, like right. just not even the whole boot, yeah, but just even if it's on the top part yeah, of the shoe. It part only covers it. the uh, yeah. It, if you're, it doesn't matter how high the shoe goes up your leg or your ankle or whatever. It only covers the bottom. Just covers like, that. So you only have to have it covering the oh, sole. Oh wow! Yes, I will talk with the campaign uh, 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 tomorrow about that. That's a tip. Excellent idea. Um, so they sell these at yeah they sell these at uh, CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid, whatever they have in Myrtle Beach. Um, you, you, they're not hard to find. Uh, I work for a medical school; we get them in bulk. But you guys, can, if if he's going to wear that during an outbreak, we might as well have everything taken care of just in case. Just in case, there's not been I'm sure much epidemiological epidemiological study. I'm sure there been many studies on wearing a boot on your head and the potential vector factor for that. We don't know. We just don't know. Right. So, so let's just be safe. Let's just be safe. No, I think it's a great idea. So Jordan, <laughs> thank you so much. Stick around. I'm going to give a, a vermin Supreme, uh, vermin spike campaign update, uh, talking about everything with the vermin Supreme spike Cohen 2020 campaign. Guys, this has been an absolutely incredible week, uh, for us. Uh, first of all, we found out from the uh, Super Tuesday convention, it took forever to, to count, but we have confirmed that Vermin Supreme won the uh, Massachusetts primary. This is a non-binding primary. We don't bind our delegates. We'll find out at the convention if that even happens, uh, who actually you know gets picked. But this is an idea of who the voters, who they like. And so Vermin won Massachusetts, which is just incredible. Uh, and then even bigger news, because this was a close race. Jacob Hornberger came within what uh, uh, almost uh, just over just under 30, 29 votes of, of of Vermin, and Dan Berman was right behind him. Kim Ruff, who's been out of the race for two months, she did pretty well. Uh, but so, but what really the big news this week is that after an absolutely just astoundingly perfect debate performance, where he absolutely killed it at the Libertarian Party of Illinois uh, convention. Um, at the debate in Chicago and a previous debate that he had with other third party candidates, uh, he completely routed at the uh, the Illinois version of what they call their primary, their straw poll. He won more votes than every other candidate combined. He did so well that there was actually a negative reaction from people who thought he couldn't have possibly actually done that well. Um, and uh, he did. He he did it. He did incredibly, incredibly well. It is he has really turned a corner on his debate. He's always been decent and good in the debate performances. He's completely turned a corner. He killed it in the debate. It wasn't even close and uh, came away as the winner. Um, and then I ha- I got to participate in my first presidential debate. Now, I know what you're thinking. Spike, you're not running for president. Well, <laughs> that's true. But what happened is uh, Vermin Supreme's uh, computer didn't work, and so he wasn't able to participate. He asked if I could uh, partic- participate in his stead, and so I ended up in the transhumanist party, third-party candidate uh, presidential debate that was hosted live on YouTube a couple days ago. I'll, I'll put the, the link to it in the notes. Uh, it's very long. It was over two hours that I participated. Uh, I was in with other libertarian candidates such as John McAfee and Adam Kokesh, uh, as well as uh, ben Zion, who is apparently the Transhumanist Party's uh, candidate, um, uh, his, their nominee for president, 
and John Thistle, who was running as a Democrat, and then Mosey, I forget what Mosey's name is, but she was in there as well, and also Zoltan, oh man, whatever that guy's last name is, who was running as a Libertarian, but now he's <laughs> now he's running as a Republican. Zoltan was in there, but he already had signed off before I got on. No doubt he signed off finding out that Spike Cohen would be participating in the debate and just utterly wrecking shop and winning. I ended up being the only candidate to end with time still, you know, we each were assigned a certain amount of time to answer all the questions. I was left with 10 seconds, making me the winner of that debate. So I won that debate, fair and square, uh, having absolutely no idea what we were going to talk about because up to 10 minutes before, I was on the floor being the little spoon for my dog. He was being the big spoon. I had no idea what was going to happen. I had no clue, didn't even know there was a debate. And then I get a call saying, hey, how'd you like to be in a presidential debate about technology? And I thought, absolutely, let's find out. And so I was finding out what the questions were as they were asking them, whereas the other candidates had had something like a week to research it and even just know the idea of what was even happening. So I would say, given the fact that I went in not knowing anything, that I did pretty well. I think I did pretty well. So I won it. I won it. I did win the debate. Uh, I will, uh, I'm will. i calling that, that I won the debate. Um, and uh, yeah, we had a great... Oh, final my fellow... We, we haven't done fi- final my fellow Americans. You want to do final my fellow Americans? Absolutely. Okay. So this is a fun game that we have. And by fun, I mean that it's going to be really like just difficult for you, which is fun for me. Yeah. So <laughs> basically what we're going to do is uh, for... Final My Fellow Americans, I give you 30 seconds to answer a series of questions. It's nowhere near enough time to do so, but that's just how it is. It's just how it is, Jordan. Um, And so for this installment of Final My Fellow Americans, I'm going to name a series of things, and you tell me how long that it will take for that thing to eradicate all of humankind. Okay? So I'm going to name a thing, and then you tell me how long, days, weeks, months, whatever, how long you think it will take for every single last human being on the planet Earth to die a horrific, painful death as a result of this thing that exists. Uh, oh, that so I'm, I'm playing, uh, what's that game called? Uh, Outbreak or whatever it is, the, the mobile app. Oh, Plague uh, Inc.? Plague Inc.? Yeah, Plague Inc. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm doing that yeah. but in real life. Okay, got But it. In, real, in real life. But what you're doing in this case is you're just estimating how long you think it'll take. So uh, you tell me when you're ready and we will get started. Go for it. Okay, so we will get started. Oh, uh, start the clocks at 30 seconds. Good luck. COVID-19. Uh, 10 years. 10 years to kill all of us. Climate change. Uh, 50 years. 50 years, okay. The ending of net neutrality. Uh, we're already dead. We're already all dead. Okay. broadcast straight from hell. That's <laughs> Goat AIDS. AIDS goat from AIDS? AIDS that you get from a goat. Um, I'm going to say 15 years. 15 years? That one's way more dangerous. Okay, the guy, that guy named Jeff who has a nuclear weapon. Jeff was no danger to us. Jeff is a good person, and he is going to save us all. Okay, that's right. Jeff is like the Iron Man of this universe. No, that's He that's has fair. built the weapon that only he can contain. He's so, fine. O- so only Jeff can save us from goat AIDS. Correct. Okay. A uh, pop country. Ooh, um, that is more dangerous than Corona by a lot. I'm going to say that's going to kill us all by next year if we don't do something about it now. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. Max Abramson registering as a Democrat. Oh, God almighty. 
I that's got six months. That's six got months. until about November, October before that kills us. That's fair. That's until the election. Um, uh, yeah. bird, bird box in real life. Mm. They're making a sequel to that, so I'm going to say two years. Oh, they're making a sequel. That's funny. Um, okay, the common cold, but every time you sneeze, flames come out of your nose. Uh, I think we would actually handle that pretty well. It would just like just it would just make the social distancing mandatory by flamethrower. Um, so you so just I'd say always that socially distance. We probably do okay. We probably last twenty years on that one. Twenty years. Okay, it would just then... make yeah. It would just make pepper illegal. So it's spicy foods. So this would be perfect for white people because we just know spicy foods. I mean, speak for yourself. I live in Florida. And, that's fair. That, no, uh, that's fair. And, and you're and you're like part Cajun, right? You're like part Louisiana. Uh, that's just my like my grandmother on my mom's side. Uh, okay. The rest of my family is like Irish. So, so you won't like, be. Oh well. So, so you won't be happy, but we will live. Okay. So and and then finally, <laughs> like we'll live. Emily, but just, if you're watching this, I'm so sorry. Like, are you, are we really living? Um, okay, and then finally, a badger. Ooh, J- just, uh, just a badger. Is the have we angered the badger? Like, probably. is the badger pissed off at us? I mean, it's a badger, so probably yes. Okay, um, the badger will if granted it's only one, so he's got a lot of work to do. It's literally but the badger just one will badger. probably take. Yeah, the badger will take us all down in about nine years. Okay, like that's fair. the badger's gonna like just. He's gonna he's gonna slowly build up to it, but the badger will eventually take over the air force, and then we're done. Okay, so it's like a it's like it's more of a political process of him becoming powerful enough to kill all of us. Right, the badger will eventually pull the house of cards trick and become the president. And when he controls the military, it, that's the game for him. Okay, so so the badger is actually potentially the worst threat besides Max Abramson becoming oh no no, no. Well, we're, we're all like you said we're already all in hell from now well, pop, yeah I was gonna, well pop country we had to do something oh, about yeah, it. pop country we can okay. still be saved from that one but it will if we don't do something about cop country it's over yeah i mean it might already be too late we may not be able to contain pop country jordan you've been an absolute blast thank you so much for coming on we are definitely doing more of these we'll do one on the environment and climate change it would have been great to do one but this became a two and a half hour episode just on covid and briefly mentioning the war on drugs so we'll do more sciencey segments uh, uh it's really great because i am not I, I i get educated by reading a lot of stuff immediately and i, I don't have a a breadth of knowledge when it comes to scientific stuff so i really appreciate your thoughts gotcha. uh just final piece of advice for that Google Scholar is free. Peer-reviewed articles are available on Google Scholar for free. If you're going to try and look something up, don't Google it if it's science-related. Google Scholar it. So and that will bring you... you the scientific articles that are not written by media outlets, not blogs, not anything like that, and it's totally free. And If there's articles that are behind a paywall, any local library or any college will have access to those articles. Just use their VPNs. And so what, what, so Google Scholar is what, scholar.google or .com or? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, Google Scholar is scholar.google.com and it's the same search engine, but it brings up, instead of bringing up any source about a topic, it brings up only peer-reviewed articles or case law or patents. Oh, wow. So it, so if you want to look something up and you want to know that it's not something that somebody who has a blog paid to put on the top results of Google. Right. Google Scholar. Okay. Well, that's good to know. So if you want to get fluoride pilled, then you go to Google, <laughs> S- 
Google Scholar, scholar.google.com. Jordan, thanks again so much for coming on. Stick around. I'm going to talk to you during the outro. And you, you, you sexy, beautiful person who watched all two hours and 16 minutes of this show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we had an absolute blast. I know you did too. I could tell from the comments uh, how much fun you had with us. Thank you again. Stay safe. Stay away from people. Wash your damn hands. You know, get some food that you can cook, even if, you know, your microwave's not working. And we'll get through this together. Um, stay tuned. Uh, next week, uh, we will be ra- back at it again here. Uh, Matt Wright and I will be here uh, Tuesday night for uh, the Muddy Waters of Freedom, where Matt Wright and I, my heterosexual life partner, Matt and I, will be parsing through the week's events like the sweet little winter cherubs that we are. And then tune in right back here Wednesday night. That's when my show is. Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, for my fellow Americans. I have no idea who I'm going to have on or if I'm even going to have a guest or if I'm just going to talk about why I'm running with Vermin Supreme. But we're going to try to get that thing for his boot. That'll be really cool. So, guys, thanks again. Stay tuned. Uh, We got much more in store next week. Um, Not so much tomorrow. Oh, no, tomorrow I'm supposed to be on a podcast, which uh, I think it's called Guns and Girls, which sounds like a lot of fun. Way more fun than this. Um, So uh, be sure to – I will give the link to that when that's on. But, uh, again, thanks so much for tuning in. We will see you very soon, and God bless you.